This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey everybody, this is Larry the Cable Guy. Check this out. So I'm in my truck driving with my buddy, and we was heading up to the men's warehouse to fart in the suits, and he's listening to his phone. I said, that sounds like Hermie Sadler. He said, it is Hermie Sadler. He's got a podcast called Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I said, Sadler and the Senator? He said, yeah, that's his good buddy, Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I said, well, what in the world? He didn't know this. I said, did you know? That Hermie Sadler was voted one of the 50 best-looking drivers in NASCAR? He said, I did not know that. I said, because it ain't true. <laughs> you never know, though. He never takes off his helmet. But I know one thing. This show, Leaning Right, Turning Left, is good. So pull up a chair right there by your phone, get yourself a cold beer, and give a listen right here to this week's episode of Leaning Right, Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'll tell you what, I bet Michael Waltrip's even listening. He's always wanted to do something like that. Oh, Sadler, got another one over on Waltrip. Get her done! I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. This is another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. So how you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? Well, I'm I'm exhausted. The uh, General Assembly <laughs> session just ended, and uh, it was a marathon. Oh, week. Is this is this physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, or a combination of the two? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of the above. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, your eyes eyes are tired. You're tired of reading things. You're tired of arguing. You're tired tired of the negotiating. Um, it's a 45 day session, so everybody's really kind of on edge to begin with. You you've got to do what usually you cram into two months into a month and a half. And tempers flare, uh, things need to get done, bills that may have looked like they were going to pass go into conference committee, a committee and conference because there are differences between the general, uh, from the House of Delegates and the Senate. You try to rectify those. Sometimes when they go into conference, they never come back out. When they come back out, they may be changed or one position was uh, decided for over the other. And then you've got to reread the bill and make sure you know what you're voting for or voting against. And it's a process. And, you know, it's an age old process. There is a, you know, order to that process, but it takes a lot of time. So the last five days, six days, really, we've been in session for at least six hours a day and a couple of those nine hours. So it was a tough um, finish. And then we came out with no budget, no budget. So we passed what was called a skinny budget, which had to pay the things we had to pay, like retirement system, Virginia retirement system, into our rainy day fund, you know, things that make the bond rating companies look at Virginia and say you're a safe bonding mm -hmm. state. Uh, and then they just kind of broke and said they'll come back, which reminds me of what happened last year, if you do remember. I do. <laughs> they left. I do. With their, no bill on skill games, no you know, tax and regulate, no attempt to kill, no bill such as that. And then it showed up in the budget and that that continued our legal odyssey, mm -hmm. as you know. So yeah. you know what I worry about the most when it comes to the budget is, one, they're far apart. And they're emotional pretty much now. But 
when we are here, we're looking over their shoulders. We're asking them questions. We're getting updates. I always uh, kind of compare politics, especially inside the legislature, as like a, a pyramid, a legislative pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid, there's less space and less people. And now what we've done is left the conferees to go and do whatever they're going to do. And then they call us back within 72 hours, give you a chance to look at it maybe for, you know, a night and you vote on it. And so you don't know what you're getting and you weren't involved in the process. It leaves, it leaves legislating hanging and the unknown hanging and it messes up your schedule nonetheless because you it's, have to come back. You may not can answer this, but is some of that by design? I'm starting to think it is. It's not supposed to be. We're supposed to leave with a budget. Yeah. You know, at the end of the first biennium, we run on two-year budget cycles. You pass the main budget. We didn't do that on time last year. It was after what? Uh, Memorial Day? When Memorial they called Day, Sunday night when yeah. I started getting phone calls. I, I had COVID. Hey, Hermie, <laughs> do, do you know what this new skill game criminal code change means? Mm. It's in the budget. I'm like, to be sure they wouldn't ask y'all to vote up or down on something you don't quite understand, wouldn't they? They wouldn't legislate in the budget, <laughs> they would they? They would not. They would not change the criminal code and make it permanent in a budget. So um, a little bit of a teaser. You've got an interview coming up on this show later today with one of your um, compadres here in the uh, Senate Democrat, but one that you respect a lot, and I know you do, okay. and I uh, I like him as well. He's not a very good basketball coach, but he's a <laughs> he was your coach when he, he played was for the us, coach. Didn't you? Uh, he put me on the bench a lot, but Dave Marsden <laughs> will will join you yeah. uh, join you, not us, for an interview later today. So I want to bring that up as well. Dave was one of the first people I met here in the Senate, a Democrat, liberal Democrat from Northern Virginia, uh, but philosophical, and explains his positions. and And you may disagree with the position, but you you know. You have an engaging conversation with him at every turn about what his position is, and he listens to yours as well. Yeah. So that uh, interview that you're going to hear in the second segment is reflective of how he is as a person. He's very compelling, very intelligent. He's had an amazing amount of experience, and he respects my position if yeah. he doesn't agree with it, and I respect his. And uh, And actually, he was one of the facilitators for you and me to get two beagles apiece yep. and ultimately free the beagles at Invigo. Mm -hmm. So I credit him with that. He was trying to show me how everything was great and uh, and it didn't work out, but then he got on board and understood what we were trying to do there and shutting down. But to your point with, with Senator Marsden, that's one of the things that I think is missing in with some legislators that I hope we get some of that back. And that is having a respect and an ability to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with you because that's really why it's important to have diversity in the legislature. You don't want every, everybody thinking alike. You want every people to have differing views. Yeah. You may not agree, but sometimes on both sides, you learn or pick a few things up and say, well, I hadn't thought about it quite like that. And, but uh, all of my interactions with Senator Marsden have been exactly what you're saying is we may or may not agree on, uh, on every little thing, and we certainly have different views on uh, on on a lot of things, but very respectful, and he makes you think about why he feels the way he does, but he also respects and 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 is is willing to listen to people that have a different point of view. It's a compelling discussion, but one that I've had with him a number of times, and you know, you you hit the nail on the head there. I understand him better. He is willing to tell you why he thinks the way that I don't. Mm -hmm. He's willing to listen to my point. He's willing to be fun and funny about it. Yeah. Not take himself too seriously, but be a serious legislator nonetheless. 
And, uh, you know, I think that's where it works because I respect him greatly. My wife just absolutely adores his wife. And they, every year when they have the spouse luncheon at the executive mansion, uh, they come and sit together or, or inauguration, they'll come and hang out together. Uh, they're wonderful people to talk to. I tell the story of, I met Dave really the first inauguration that I went to, uh, you know, I'd known Dave, but we sat next to each other in a very cold, rainy day. And, and he was, uh, he had an umbrella and he would lean over to talk to me and the, and the water would come off the umbrella and go right down the back of my neck in my suit. Didn't mess your hair up, did it? Uh, now the rain did that itself. <laughs> uh, we were all in ponchos and it was just a mess, but, but we had, a, we had a great time out there on that January morning nonetheless. And, and that's the kind of guy he is. So I, I hope everybody will listen to that interview. It's compelling. We talk about the differences between Northern Virginia and the rest of Virginia, mm -hmm. Nova and Rova. Mm -hmm. We talk about the issues that we can agree on. We talk about issues we don't agree on. And, and in the end, uh, I think what you see is where debate should be in the United States of America and especially in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And unfortunately we have less of that and more of, you know, the polarization and picking sides and not explaining your reasoning for your position, which is a shallow dive in politics. Dave Marsden, does a deep dive when he, whenever he picks something as an issue and makes a decision about it, he has made a deep philosophical divide. And uh, I'm looking dive. forward to listening to the interview with Dave Marsden as well, because I was not present for that. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is you have been looking for an opportunity to get one back up on me because you never got over the fact last year that I took the show on the road, ironically <laughs> enough, while you were in session, right? I took leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator on the road to Virginia Beach to the home of former Governor George Allen, who you and I both love and respect dearly. And I did a one-on-one -on -one interview with him that uh, was a uh, classic classic for, for, for the podcast. And so this was your opportunity. While I was not able to come, while you and Senator Marzin were in session, to sit down and do a one-on-one -on -one and exclude old Hermie. From that conversation. We weren't excluding old Hermie. Old Hermie didn't have it in his <laughs> schedule where he could make such a time. And actually what we did was we were in the middle of session yesterday and, and I, he, he had agreed we were going to do it after session ended, but session didn't end until seven. So at about one o'clock, uh, he looks at me and says, Hey, you want to go over there and record? And we had about an hour and a half break, mm -hmm. walked over there in the rain and, and put about 15 minutes of an interview together. And it was Great. seamless and a lot of fun. And you know, I don't want to do that too often, but I did make mention that that this was getting back for you interviewing sure. Governor George Allen. I have no doubt. Without me. I have no doubt. And so I enjoyed it thoroughly. You remind me a lot of Jimmy Spencer. You never forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just always remember. There's a difference. All right. So uh, Senator Marsden coming up. Getting back one other time to the budget. Yeah. Obviously, the, the, the main part of the budget that most people, whether you're close to the General Assembly or not, First thing you'll hear people talk about is what to do with the surplus or some of the surplus that the Commonwealth of Virginia has. I, I, I'm, I'm quite certain Governor Yunkin thinks that that money belongs back into the hands of the people. Correct. And maybe some on the other side think that may, they may know better what to do with the people's money uh, than the people. So address that and then what other roadblocks are there to uh, finalizing this budget? Well, I think you described exactly what's going on. I mean, perfectly. I mean, that's why you make a great senator. Uh, what we have is two differences, three differences in a budget. The governor hands down the amendments to the first year budget and the second year biennium. 
he had, because we had such a surplus, over $1 billion of tax relief going back to the citizens because, as he says, it's their money. Mm -hmm. um, and that was reflected in the House budget. Uh, governor sent down his amendments. They crafted a budget in the House, mostly incorporating every single one of the governor's ideas. And on the Senate side, they had no tax relief for hardworking Virginia citizens. They had a lot of spending projects that were, you know, what they like or in their progressive agenda. Plenty of South, for South Side, and you're part of Virginia, too, I'm sure. Yeah, and we'll talk about one of the bills that didn't get funded, uh, one of my bills. But, um, but they were absolutely differing budgets to the point where when they got back together, we, you know, we appoint conferees. We pass our own budgets in each chamber, I know send them over, the reject it. They, they have conferees to work out the differences. Those conferees, unfortunately are people of leisure mostly, you know, older senators and House of Delegate members, maybe not working, maybe don't have the kind of schedule I have or other people that have jobs who want this done and willing to stay a little bit over time to get it done. Uh, but they just couldn't seem to get together and negotiate or talk with any kind of, you know, it was fits and starts with any kind of consistency. They made some headway on certain things and then they bogged down on others. So, you know, they started over a billion dollars basically apart in spending priorities. They wanted to spend the billion dollars uh, Republicans wanted to give it back to the people. And so when you start out like that, uh, you know it's going to be a long, bumpy road. But when they put also in there in the budget and the Senate side, the Democrat-controlled Senate side, stripping out money for the lieutenant governor, stripping out money for the attorney general, I mean, that's just petty. politically petty. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you come to the table with your attitude, but your attitude is that um, you're not going to have a lot of good faith negotiation going on. And that's the problem. And so that's why when we left and we adjourned sine die, which is adjourning, dissolving the body, um, we did so without a budget amendment, uh, an amended second year plan. We're going to have to come back. Uh, could be next week, could be in a couple months, could be whatever. And who knows what we're going to get as they negotiate while we're out of session. But ultimately, um, it demonstrates that we just can't seem to, to work together like we should. And we're looking at a re-election year for most of these 140. There's there's dozens of people who are retiring who have been there for a while. You're going to see about 40, 50 new faces in the Senate and the House combined. It's going to be a whole new year, a whole different process, a lot less institutional knowledge left on the field. And I think we need to look at this process in the rearview mirror and say, if 45 days doesn't work, then we should just do 60-day sessions every year. We can slow down the process because in a 45-day session, you're, you're still considering thousands of bills, but we're not giving them the kind of hearing and the examination that we need to, because we're, we're constantly working. It's almost like stamping out cookies. We're not looking to see if the stamp on the cookie is right all the time until we get to the floor and then, it, you know, it degrades or explodes or what have you. And, and sometimes bad bills get passed. So um, here we go again, not being able to get a budget. We worked really hard. We've got hundreds and hundreds of bills that and were look, passed I, onto the governor, but it still feels know, like a failure. Know you better than I do anybody else in the General Assembly, not so much legislatively speaking, but how you all as a person and how you do your job as an attorney in your private practice, it's got to irritate you to no end to leave and not finish the job. Right. It's like going through a jury trial, putting on your case, making a closing argument, and the jury never comes back. Yeah. And you have to go home. It's not right. And it's it's... It's abrogating our responsibilities to Virginia. You know, sit down, get it done. I was more than willing to extend the session. 
And yet most of these politicians wanted to go back to their district to end the session because when they end the General Assembly session, they can start raising money. They can't raise money when the General Assembly is in regular session. So they want to get out so they can raise money for their fights. I mean, that seems to be a little self-centered instead of being, hey, let's do this for Virginia and then go. See you if I want to have a better chance of raising money across the board if you when you left Richmond, you could go back to your districts and say, we did the job. The budget is finished. We, we, we did the work for the people. Let's have fundraisers. Will you support me? But the, the selling point of, well, we didn't get it done. We're not quite finished. We'll have to go back for the second year in a row, maybe even more. Um, we have to go back and finish this and finish that. Rewarding somebody for incomplete Bad behavior. Bad behavior <laughs> uh, seems to be common. It's becoming the norm. Yeah. And, and again, the precedent that we're setting is that the budget doesn't have to be have to be finished by the time we adjourn. That we can do it in secret. We can do it without transparency. And without, you can also maybe try to legislate through it. Correct. Every and, now it's, and, again. and it's the will of five or yeah. six, or maybe seven, but no more. Out of 140 at the top of that pyramid. Yeah makes decisions for us all. And then basically puts a gun to your head figuratively and says, vote for it, don't vote for it. This is this is your dinner. Yeah. They put you in a box then because just to be clear, when the budget comes, time for a vote, there's really no debate. No. There's no asking questions. You can't there's pull no it committees. out. Yeah, you can't pull it's out the either amendments. thumbs up mm-hmm. or thumbs down. That's exactly right. And if you have a part of that budget that you don't like, if you decide to vote no, then you open the door to some potential backlash from your constituents because the ones that are not on your side or that want to create a false narrative potentially for a legislator will say, well, gee, you don't want your school teachers to be paid. Exactly. You don't want your law enforcement to get paid. You know, you are smart. Well, they look, I lived it. No, you're I'm smart. not even in the general yeah. assembly and I lived well, it. Yeah. You've been living it with your litigation. I've been living it, mm-hmm. been living it through, you know, the, my the, business. The, and the legislative process has meddled more in your business and then meddled more in your court case yeah. than ever should have ever happened. Mm-hmm. But it gives you a good indicator of why we are where we are. Yeah. And why some things need to be fixed and not broken. So um, the budget will be something interesting to follow. How did you end up with bills and legislation that you were pushing towards? Uh, how, how many How many were you able to get across the finish line? Well, so I started out with 13. That's the least amount that I've ever done. My wife demanded that I put in five, so I got to 13. So I said that was pretty close. I usually put in 30 or 40. It's a lot of work, a lot of time, but you know, you lose track of those issues. You can't really hone in on them. Here I had 13 that I could really focus on, work on the redrafting, work on the arguments, present to the committees, convince my fellow legislators to vote for. And so uh, nine got out of the uh, out of the Senate and eight passed out of the House. Um, eight out of nine. Eight out of nine. I, had, I lost one. Now, some of my bills were reforming the Virginia um Employment Commission, so we can go after the waste, fraud, and abuse of b- over a billion dollars that was stolen during the pandemic. That's so bad. By empowering yeah. them to be able to subpoena records and find out who the bad guys are, uh, who who got these who got these monies using you know false identifications or the people that weren't entitled to them that you know that they acted nothing criminally. but hurt the people that really and truly deserve and need 
Absolutely. Those monies. So now we've empowered the VEC like never before so we can get that done. Of course, the railroad crossing bill for fiber optic cable we talked about, that ended up sailing out of both uh, chambers with near unanimous support. And so I think we're solving a big, huge problem of broadband in your region and my region in Southwest Virginia. Uh, we can get these things done in the next year by the railroad crossings, which were being held up by Norfolk Southern or CSX. Uh, sometimes they're being held for ransom, you know, for a, what would be a 15 minute cross job was uh, being charged by the railroads to our fiber optic and our co-ops at like, you know, $10,000, $20,000. Uh, so we, we got that going to the governor. I think that was fine. Uh, and then, uh, then the internet pornography bill, keeping children from being able to access pornography on the internet, was a late flyer. I wrote, I wrote the bill at the last minute and uh, ended up getting out of the House and the Senate with near unanimous support. That's on to the governor. That, that puts a filter on uh, those porn websites like YouPorn or Pornhub or whatever, and, and you have to verify your age mm -hmm. to a degree that's not just typing your, you know, your birth date. Mm -hmm. And it will be for URLs that are in the Commonwealth of Virginia. This is going to prevent children from having access to pornography uh, on the internet, which they've had unabated. I mean, one out of 10 children under the age of 10 have visited these websites and have been right. exposed to pornography. These are putting the guardrails up to make sure that we, you know, act in the same way that we do, say, at a Barnes & Noble. We don't let... You know, my 10-year-old walk in there and go, hey, I'd like this month's issue of, you know, Penthouse. Um, we, nobody would ever sell them that. They shouldn't. And the same thing should be when it comes to accessing those kind of things on the internet. It's so harmful for children. It warps their minds. I mean, you're talking about body shaming issues. It, it objectifies women. It degrades women. It creates an unhealthy view on sexuality or, or sex or, 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 you know, how you treat uh, interpersonal relationships. It's just horrible. And so we've done that. We're very excited about that. That was a big win under the radar. And then, um, then I had my uh, my one bill that didn't go, which was actually a bill that was unanimously supported throughout the Senate, put in the budget, already in the budget, which was STEM C competitions, creating a fund for scholarships, a revolving fund, so that schools that are at or below the poverty level or have 60% or more of their students qualify for free or reduced lunch, that they would get a scholarship to start a robotics program from the state of $10,000. Those things aren't cheap. But it's really a part of the tech talent, talent pipeline that we get kids interested in that because, you know, they get not just the skills. They get they want to go into the IT industry. They want to go into technology and, and advancement manufacturing. It is a great feeder for the kind of technology jobs that we're trying to build here in the Commonwealth. Got through the Senate, unabated. Janet Howell didn't touch it. She was happy. I had students present the bill. They, they came to me, who and they were students from high schools that were more affluent mm -hmm. and had robotics teams, and they wanted those kids that may be living in the inner cities or, or the rural areas and going to public school to have access. It's a great idea, great bill. Went through the House initially through their education com committee uh, unanimously. Was referred to the dreaded Appropriations Committee headed by none other than Chairman Knight. Chairman Knight is not a fan of skill games. Got there, made my pitch, said it was in the budget, and uh, only two people were looking at me. The chairman and one other person, a House of Delegates member. And I kind of knew maybe something was... House of Delegates member that may or may not be... I may have a nomination contest with? Yes. Okay. And then... Uh, the chairman made uh, Delegate Glenn Davis, who we've had on the program, 
make the motion. Uh, he did so reluctantly, and it was tabled. You know, just kind of a, like it was already set in stone. And Republicans voted to table it, this excellent scholarship that had already been proven. I'd done it at a, on a one-off piece of legislation three years prior. And it was wildly successful. They just tabled it. And they didn't do it because there wasn't any money, money in the budget. They didn't do it because it was too expensive. It was $200,000, which would have been basically 20 schools that would have benefited to start a $400,000 budget over two years. So that wasn't it. It wasn't because the, the students wrote a bad bill or it didn't conform with partisan Republican conservative viewpoints. You said it passed the Senate unanimously. 40 to nothing. Yeah. It passed out of every committee unanimously. They didn't even put what's called the clause on it, which says we'll only make this a law if we fund it. This appears to be one of the things that we say sometimes this should be something that everybody could agree on that was a benefit, especially to kids that are trying to live their dreams. And You're 100% right. Yeah. I was heartbroken for the kids and I uh, can only think, and I come to my own conclusion in my opinion, is that the reason that bill was killed, because I had another bill go through a probe that was sponsored by the Virginia Home Builders Association. That didn't have a problem. But this was one that was personal to me and in front of these children who'd worked so hard to kind of thumb their nose at me. And that's fine. It's politics, man. It's a blood sport. It's a bare knuckle blood sport. Um, but to do this to the children, I thought it was petty. And I can only come to the conclusion, in my opinion, is that it was a result. It was as a result of our skill game litigation, our challenges um, of the persons who put in that legislation through the budget trying to ban skill games a second time, who injected themselves into our court case. Right. And yeah, we served some uh, discovery subpoenas and requests on them. But if you inject yourself in my court case, guess what happens? You become a part of it. They didn't seem to think that's how it's played. Well, you know, I'm not going to stand down from fighting for my client just because the person who may be messing with my client is somebody of power in the legislature. Heck, we're suing the governor, for God's sakes. You know but what? here you go. Why did they kill a very good bill that had funding, except for the only conclusion, in my opinion, that I can draw is that they wanted, they wanted to show me, teach me a lesson. Explain this to me. You're obviously a sitting state senator. That's what they say. The reason, in your opinion, and I, have, I happen to attend with your opinion, the reason why Barry Knight and Delegate Emily Brewer are salty towards you in our opinion salty <laughs> is I, I hired you because you make your living as an attorney correct i hired you as an attorney to represent me and my companies to fight against what we thought at the beginning was unconstitutional legislation yeah well it turned out we're right the court has ruled on three different occasions that this law that they have tried to write to ban skill games for a number of reasons is unconstitutional. So you're not representing me and my company as Senator Bill Stanley. You're representing me and my company as Bill Stanley attorney, the Stanley Law Group. Right. 
why can't these people separate? You know, you over here for a month and a half, certainly not for the money. Y'all make what, 18 grand? 18 grand for a year. the whole year? Yeah. But your job that you work to provide for your family and how you make a living is as an attorney. Yeah. So why, the last 30 years. why are they begrudging you for taking on a case that you were hired by to represent a family and a company and by proxy small businesses across the Commonwealth? Why, why can't they separate that? I think because, number one, they hate what they call gray games. Gray games, bad. And what they thought was they had beaten Gray Games. They didn't take into account the way they wrote the statute the first time, SB 971. They didn't account for, wait a minute, this is an interactive skill game, which has free speech connotations and protections. They didn't think that far. They just decided for themselves, we're going to get in bed with the casinos and the Rosies and the Churchill Downs. That's who we're picking to swim with in the pond. And we won't let small businesses be a part of that. Your lawsuit brought light and transparency to what they the, the decision that had, they had made. It also brought attention to the fact uh, that they were trying to ban something that they couldn't. And then when they come back after we won our first injunction and then file in the budget a piece of legislation that had never been seen before, never debated, the public never saw it, changing the criminal code, making it permanent, a ban of skill games in another way other than SB 971, another use of words in spaghetti-like fashion. Then they were appalled that we would attack their budget. They were appalled that we would question its constitutionality. They were so upset that it would maybe make them look bad that that's where they've gotten the case of the ass. Pardon my French, but that's exactly what it is. And so now it's personal for them. It's not good business practice for the Commonwealth of Virginia to keep doing nothing in the tax and regulatory scheme of skill games. They're here to stay. Mm -hmm. I think Churchill Downs, in my opinion, also the casinos, they're, they're, they're telling these people at the top of the pyramid who are against skill games, play the long game. The casinos don't care if for the next three years while we're in litigation and appeals, that gray games exist and no tax money, you know, like a quarter of a billion dollars is being deprived uh, from the revenue to the state that would offset perhaps what our everyday taxpayer pays or creates more programs to help children mm -hmm. uh, with literacy or, or any number of things. I mean, there's so much you can solve with that amount of money every year and regulate them. And by regulating them, eliminate all the bad illegal games of chance that are out there, the video games of chance that have sprung up. One would think that would be a no brainer. But yet here we went through another general assembly session and we don't know about this budget amendment yet. And they did nothing. We have our injunctions. The skill games are still on. The proliferation of illegal gaming is still on. And they chose to do nothing. Who told them that? How is that in the best interest of the Commonwealth of Virginia? You know, right now, if you look at even the casino vote, you know, the Petersburg won a casino and kept dying in the Senate Finance Committee. It would get passed everywhere else and die in Senate Finance. Why? Because somewhere the casinos and their lobbyists, Churchill Downs and Rosie's had 67 lobbyists on the ground in the Capitol this year. They're the ones that want to determine. They're the ones, you know, you and I talked about this, that, that want to spread out and decide for themselves where these things go instead of letting the, the people they decide the is how the statute was set up. Yeah. That there would be a referendum. 
They don't want to go to Petersburg. They don't want Petersburg to have a referendum. They don't want to go to Richmond. And so whoever's going along with whatever their grand plan is, number one, they're controlling Virginia. Virginia is not controlling them. Two, they would rather Virginians lose by the time the appeals process uh, is finished in our case, if it goes that long with no solution, three quarters of a billion dollars. They can help the mental health uh, institutions we have. I mean, I could go over the list of where that money could make the biggest difference in the Commonwealth. And the casinos don't care. And they've convinced the people that pull the levers at the top of that pyramid that they shouldn't care either. And it's no big thing because we're better, we're bigger, we're more important than these skill games. They're willing to, to, to cut off Virginia's nose despite its face. So go back. So you had this bill to provide these scholarships to these schools for these robotics programs, mm -hmm. pass unanimous out of the Senate. Everything is looking good. Unanimous out of the House Ed Committee. Right. So you go to um, Senate Finance. House. Excuse me. House Appropriations. House Appropriations. Mm -hmm. And that bill gets killed. Yeah. So pretty unceremoniously. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was like, it was like scripted. So you and I hadn't even really talked uh, in detail about that, if at all. But one night last week, I got an unsolicited email from somebody I had never met. Mm -hmm. It was one of the teachers and or advocates for the robotics program at Franklin High School in Franklin, Virginia. Not Franklin County, but Franklin City High Franklin. School, City of Franklin, Southampton County. And this person sends me about a long two, three page email about the fact that your legislation that would have helped their program got tabled, effectively killed. Yeah. Um, in house appropriations. Hmm. And this person went on to write to me about this, that, and the other. And they said, one of the legislators that voted to kill your bill was Emily Brewer. Hmm. They also attached to this email a picture that last year at the Southampton County Fair, Emily Brewer took a picture with five or six of these kids in this robotics program. And according to this teacher that wrote me this email, told all the students, I look forward to supporting you and I'm going to help you in every way that I can Wow! to do all these things, told, told the teacher and these kids at this photo op. Mm. And then when it came time to, 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 to help, she chose to go along with, I guess, higher forces or more pressure or her boss her boss let's just be honest about yeah. it you serve at the pleasure of the chairman yeah so of course she's going to do what he wants to do she's not going to think about the children she's thinking about her position i mean how bold would it have been for her to say no we should have this bill it would have been consistent with what she told those kids in franklin but there's no consistency in that it's hypocritical in my opinion I mean, okay, if you don't like me, fine. You know, take money for a bridge out of my district. But don't hurt children. Yeah. And don't tell children one thing and, and say another. I mean, Glenn Davis, it seemed to me like a setup too, because Glenn was a big champion of robotics, that the chairman looks down and says, uh, chair recognizes Delegate Davis. And you could have seen the blood rush out of Glenn Davis's face. He, he looks at me, looks down, and starts reading off a piece of paper. And he says, Mr. Chairman, uh, this is a very fine bill, and I know I promised those students it would pass.
So I regretfully have to make this motion based on the fact that he says there's no house cognate, which has never been a requirement. House cognate means it's the identical bill on the house side that's traveled over. And it's not in the budget. And I was like, it is in the budget. And so he made a motion to table and he looked like he was trying to swallow a cinder block in one bite. And I don't, you know, I don't fault him. I, I talked to him afterwards. Yeah. I talked to another delegate who I knew very, uh, very closely on that committee. And when I, he came to my office, I said, let me tell you why that bill, uh, why that great bill got killed. Two words, skill and games. And that delegate looked at me and said, you're right about that. You're exactly right. How petty is that? That shows the underbelly and the real pettiness of politics. Do you think but to think that she would say one thing to children and do another because her boss told her so rather than standing on principle and what's right for kids, it's either typical or it's disturbing. In her case, is it all about what Barry Knight said or does she have some a little bit of disdain for you because of mine and your personal relationship? I can only speculate, but I'm sure it made Didn't it help. easier. <laughs> Probably made it easier for her. But I, you know, obviously the longer I go down this path as far as campaigning and getting my name out there and talking about running for Senate, I'm starting to get more and more things like this. So when, when a teacher of high school kids yeah. in Franklin, Virginia, Southampton County, city of Franklin, email you and say, this is what we were told. And this is what happened. So I'm going down there next week to meet with the group, find out more about it. And those kids that, that engage in, in robotics are fascinating, yep. smart, driven, respectful, and are the future backbone of the economy of the Commonwealth of Virginia, if we can keep them in Virginia. But, you know, especially when Republicans have been saying, you know, we, and I've said it, you School and the public school should teach kids how to think, not what to think. Mm -hmm. But we also have to be innovative. We can't just do the three R's and be done with it. This is a different crowd that is used to the tablets and the and the phones and the and the devices and the internet more than we are. You know, their parents are. So this seems like a no-brainer. You know, and I'm not bitter about it. I understand politics. I get it. Okay. I get why they did it. I do. But it's not going to change what I do in the future. Right. And I don't regret what I did in fighting for my client. And if you think it's okay to harm children, basically deprive them of opportunity of opportunity that, that, you know, the affluent public schools that most of these uh, leisure legislators live in, you know, the Northern Virginia, the Hampton roads, the Eastern part of Virginia and in Norfolk and Virginia beach, they take for granted. But say in a school, a public school in Petersburg, a middle school or a high school, it's a crumbling school, gets this kind of technology through a grant and teaches kids the opportunities of what's out there if they really love robotics or what they can do with their lives or break the cycle of poverty. I mean, that's transformative, transformational because of petty politics. It sits on the shelf and the money is still in the budget, by the way. So it goes unspent. $200,000. They could be doing a lot of good for... High school kids and programs following their dreams in certain areas of the state that really need to provide kids with these types of opportunities. Yeah. So disappointing, but I'm disappointed in them. 
You know, the funny thing is, you want to hear, these are how talented these children are. And they came from Henrico and Richmond and the surrounding areas and, and Maggie Walker School, the governor's school. They found out because they were not at the appropriations hearing when this was done. But they were monitoring everything. The next morning, they show up at my office, seven deep of students, wanting to know what happened, but also in their hands, they were going to visit every legislator, including Delegate Brewer, every legislator, and ask them why they would do this. Right. To ask them to reconsider. Fair question. That's how motivated these kids are. That's how adult mature they are. And mm -hmm. robotics has a big thing to do with that. Yep. And their willingness to fight. I mean, it was heartwarming to see that because I, yeah. I was trying to look them in the eye and, you know, and I told them it could have been me. <clears throat> this is, you know, something that could have been caused by what I do as a lawyer. They totally understood it. Yeah. But they weren't going to stop fighting for the children that don't have robotics uh, programs and clubs in their schools. I mean, I fought to make sure through the Virginia High School League years ago, put a bill in, then pressured them to make sure that they acknowledged that robotics was a letterman sport. Because, you know, when we played baseball and sports, what a big chance of us going pro right. in baseball or football. But every single one of them can go pro. Mm -hmm. That's the awesome part of robotics. So... I'm not going to give up the fight. I've asked the governor maybe to hand down an amendment for appropriating that money. Maybe it comes out of the the budget we see. Who knows? But we're not going to give up on it. We'll be back next year. Imagine. With the bill. Look, my comments may come back to haunt me at some point. But imagine being in that kind of position as the chairman of appropriations in the House and making a decision on a piece of legislation like that, in our opinion, because you are disappointed that a sitting legislator who makes a living as an attorney represents a family and a small business in a litigation against what a court has ruled on three different occasions is an unconstitutional law. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say that again. He, in our opinion, is holding a grudge against you because you, as an attorney, were hired by me on behalf of my companies to challenge what we thought was an unconstitutional law there was government overreach into small business, created a whole bunch of other problems, including unfair government, issues with the free market system, all these other things. Yeah. And we have won in the court. I'm not we didn't convince some lobbyist. We didn't convince some special interest group in a court of law three different times <laughs> that we're right. Yeah. So I don't you would think at some point in time they would wake up and say, Bill, we may not have agreed with what you were doing, but you know what? You've, you're you on the right side of this. Mm, I would have thought by now they would have. I mean, we took another, this is two in a row, two years in a row, not resolving the problem and allowing illegal gaming to proliferate, which hurts the casinos, hurts everybody. We're not collecting the tax revenue that we should, and we're not regulating and enforcing the gaming laws around that regulatory process that we could have done with skill games. And to your point of what you're saying, 
they're taking it out on me personally as a politician with legislation because of what I do in my private life. The mm -hmm. chairman of a probes is a pig farmer. That would be like me if I was a vegan, which I'm not, but for the purposes of this hypothesis, that would be me if I was a vegan, not ever supporting anything he does because he slaughters hogs and I don't like bacon. Yeah. I mean, that's your life. That's what you have to do. And even if it crosses over, which it has, into the legislative process, it's because the legislature has done the bad, wrong thing. First, it passed an unconstitutional law, kicked that out. Then it snuck in something into the budget, tried to get it another way. We got that kicked out. And when they injected, as I said earlier, earlier themselves into your lawsuit, then they're subject to scrutiny. You shouldn't act shocked, Mr. Chairman, Madam Chair, that you're now a part of a lawsuit that you exacerbated not only created, but then exacerbated in the middle of it. So what do we do? Hmm, let's look around. Let's, let's kill a puppy. Let's punish kids. <laughs> I mean, this is what you may be getting yourself into, young man. You just got to have thick skin, move on, and be undaunted. Speaking of uh, politics, I know you've been busy in session, and we have not been able to talk as much in recent weeks as we normally do because you've got a lot of stuff going on. You've been busy, too. We've we both been busy. But let me tell you, my understanding of what's going on in the in and around the 17th Senate district, please, which is the district that I'm running for the Republican nomination for Senate state, against, state Senate against Emily Brewer, who does not, obviously, in my opinion, like children to get robotics program. <laughs> no. And those are my views. That's, that's my what opinion. The, that's, what the, that's what the record will show. <laughs> well. Um, so, you know, a couple months ago, I guess the LDC Legislative, Legislative District Committee. Uh, Which is apart from any GOP committee, like right. local unit or, yeah. you know, it's basically members of the local unit formed together to pick nomination methods. Yeah. Basically, that's all they really do. Yeah. And I'm not sure for, if you can explain this to race. me, but they said they were going to say they had voted for a convention at the time, but I don't think it's ever actually been officially what um, I understand, what I understand in the 17th is, 17th got together, decided they had an LDC Legislative District Committee meeting. Those things are independent animals from the state party. Right. And from the committees. They they kind of, they're like mushrooms that exist on their own and, and depend on their own sustenance to survive. That usually, that sustenance financially is just the filing fees of the candidates. You have legislative district committees for Senate and for House. You have congressional legislative district committees, and that's those are called, like, we have 11 congressmen, the 5th district, the 2nd district, which was a part of Suffolk. Mm -hmm. Those are the congressional districts. And your only function in an LDC is to pick the nominating process. They pick convention, but then they didn't secure a place for the convention, which you got to hold up, what, up to 1,800 people based on the, on the possible delegate pool from every county that's a part of the 17th. Mm -hmm. You got to get insurance. You better sure get pallets of water so that people don't pass out because it's going to be a long day. You've got to get security. You got to pay for the counting machines unless you're going to hand count ballots and keep everybody there, you know, 15 hours. That's a lot of expense and an LDC usually can't do it, especially in a big area like that. So in the middle of... So they've never put out a call or picked a place. No. And, and, and no you're place, still bumping no around. location, no rules, no nothing. You're, you're, you're traveling as a candidate under the guise and the belief that, okay, it's a convention. So you're out there getting delegates. I know you got hundreds of them. 
but they're not going to have the ability, I don't think, the wherewithal well, to, to carry it out. In the 17th Senate District, Suffolk has the biggest concentration of people. Therefore, they have, in a convention, the biggest weighted vote. Right. So the chairman of that committee in Suffolk has been the chairman of the LDC that's handling all this. Well, I found out last week and this past Saturday, the second congressional district called a meeting. And it is my understanding, called a meeting and voted to remove the chairman of the Suffolk GOP committee and disband the unit. They formed their own committee and installed their own chair and directors. Wow. So it takes a lot to dissolve the committee. It has to stop functioning. But, you know, and I heard about this and I think their justification was is Suffolk's GOP committee voted on a censuring of the Speaker of the House of Delegates mm -hmm. for not pushing, I guess, abortion legislation or gun? Gun. I think related to guns. Okay. Well, that so you have a differing opinion from a leader in the Republican Party. Is that a reason to dissolve the committee? I mean, a legal ground? You know, usually when the when dissolution occurs, and I was a 5th District Chairman, I was a unit chairman, eight years combined. When a dissolution occurs, it's because the body, the committee, has failed to function as a committee. It sounds like they just had a difference of opinion. So right, somebody got a little butthurt. So right now, with my situation, we've been waiting for the rules and the location and the date and the time and information about mass meetings and those kind of things. Now, here we are going into March, mm. and now the second congressional district and the largest GOP committee is dissolved. The largest GOP committee in the wow. LDC is dissolved. Wow. There's a new sheriff in town, so they believe, with new chairs, new board of directors, all that. So well, well, as a four, candidate, you just said four members. As a candidate, I think Suffolk's committee is its big as hundreds of members, right? Yeah. But me so as a candidate, four, I have no idea what's going on. Wow. Well, so it's either benign, they just got mad at the unit and they've dissolved it. But it complicates the nominating process even further because, you know, if you have a convention, you've got nobody to help set it up from the Suffolk side. If you do a party canvas, which is like a firehouse primary party run, you have voting locations and firehouses. That's why we call it a firehouse primary or, you know, rec centers or churches. People go and vote, but it's only like one or two locations per unit. Um, that's an expense and a cost. You've got no money because I think what it's seven hundred bucks is a filing fee, the max. So it's a percentage of your earnings. Mm -hmm. uh, so eighteen grand, grand keeps the uh, number down. Um, so that you could only raise fourteen hundred bucks. That's not going to pay for a primary. That's not going to pay for a convention. I mean a party canvas. And you're too far, you know, along, and you're behind the eight ball. The only, the only thing I think uh, they could try to do is go for a primary. And maybe that's what they're trying to do. Or they're trying to nail down a convention, but I'm sure you haven't heard about anybody saying, hey, is there an 1,800-seat arena we can use in Emporia? Heard nothing. Wow. So, I don't know. It's I, don't, just, I mean, the, when you look at that... Timing, I, the timing of it just... 
So, you, so the question would be, is your opponent trying to play a little shenanigans? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. The timing of it and... I mean, having an opinion should not be a reason for dissolution. So that seems to be a, a knee-jerk reaction. In my opinion, that's just how I think of it. I don't think if I was 5th District and this happened, I would handle it this way. Certainly, I'm going to tell you, Suffolk probably should have written a letter unanimously saying we're very disappointed. The censure thing tends to get under politicians' skin, and that's why you do them. I don't think what they did is is a violation of the state party plan. And so I'm a little, I'm a little, I hope they're appealing. The second, the, the formed second district committee can appeal that to state central committee, which is like the Congress of the Republican Party. Of Virginia. You mean the, the Suffolk GOP committee can appeal that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They can appeal that. And I, I, you know, I haven't been in front of the rules of the RPV and the bylaws, but one would think that the, you're saying the chair of the second district dissolved them or the committee of the second district, congressional district? I just know they, it's my understanding that the second congressional district dissolved Suffolk. Dissolved okay. Suffolk, call the meeting yeah. and then, install their then, own officers. Then that's an action that can be appealed to the political body of the RPV, RPV known as the State Central Committee. And, and, and while it's on appeal, uh, I think the old committee still lives. I don't think the action in dissolution stands until that appeal process. That's, that's what I remember. I can't be. It's just another certain. unknown for us because. Well, the question then would be, would they try to, I'm guessing either the chairman or the chairman appointed somebody to the 17th Senate District to serve on the legislative uh, district council committee, the LDC. Mm -hmm. So their only thing would be to try to remove that person, but I don't. you can't do that. It's not possible. LDCs stand separate and apart. Um, well, then maybe replace him or her, I, I guess, um, with somebody that was they wanted. Mm -hmm. But what they had was a convention. So if your opponent favors convention, then all they need to do is pick a spot, pay for it, find a way to pay for it. If your opponent wants a, wants a primary, then they would put them in there to change the method of nomination. So they're either going in there to solidify, but it would take weeks to solidify where it's going to be, when it's going to be, and how you're going to pay for it. The easiest move is to ask for a primary. Because you just, we've run out of time. We don't have the money. Let's move, you know, reconsider whatever the vote was for convention and let's uh, file for a primary. And that would be the only things I think they could do. But I don't think they can come in and just kind of blow up the legislative district committee because they don't like what happened in Suffolk. One is not the other. Yeah. They're independent of you. I'm watching and learning. It's just ironically ironic that all this has taken place right here at a point in time when we are awaiting yeah. the LDC to finalize the details of our <laughs> nominating, as it stands now, convention. Welcome to politics, brother. I mean, this is not surprising. <clears throat> it's, you know, it is a circus. And remember when I told you, when you told me you were going to run, I said, don't forget the, the insanity of the campaign. You know, it becomes insane very quickly. Other people try to tell you how you how you should think or what you should say or where you should go. And they'll, they'll, there's always a, you know, there's always a ghost around the corner. There's always some thing that puts us at the cliff at any one given moment. It's very intense and all this stuff. And it creates this kind of insanity. It's overwhelming sometimes to the senses. And you just got to say, hey, look, I know who I am and I want to stand for. 
I know how I'm going to, I've got my strategy on how I'm going to get to the people that are going to vote and get my message out and stick to it and just let the other stuff be white noise. Yeah. Because I think ultimately, you know, whatever's happening in the second congressional district with the Suffolk unit can affect the method of nomination, perhaps. But I don't think it affects the outcome necessarily. There's got to be some real, you got to have takeover plus shenanigans. We'll see what happens. Keep it, you know, Thomas Jefferson said vigilance is the eternal price of liberty, brother. So you got to kind of watch out for it. Wanted to make one. Other, don't let it drive you crazy. Yeah. Go make one other uh, comment here. And I updated this uh, the other night on uh, on my social media platforms. But, you know, on March 13th, we've talked about it before here on the podcast. Um, I have planned a rally slash fundraiser yeah. concert down in Franklin, Virginia at main event on Main Street in Franklin on Monday, March 13th. That concert came to life because my dear friend Phil Vassar nominated or um, volunteered mm -hmm. to come play a show for my campaign. Phil Vassar, fellow Virginian, great entertainer, yeah. great friend. And, and our and our theme song. Theme song here. Just right there with Larry the Cable Guy. Well, I can't, I st you know, just like I said the other night, I can't um, give a lot of details, but uh, I will just say that there's been a family emergency uh, for the Vassar family. And Phil is at this time not able to come attend the concert on Monday, March 13th in Franklin. Hmm. So what I announced the other night is, I've already sold like 150 tickets, VIP tables. Um, we all want the show to go on, sure. as does as does Phil. Um, and at the appropriate time, Phil will be back to do another event for us. But, so my attention started to, to go to, what can we do to let the show go on and still entertain the guests and supporters that are coming to main event in Franklin on Monday night. So the update was, and I want to give it here is, uh, and I say this all the time, Bill, and I count you in that, in that one, in this group, the one thing that I have from this crazy life that I've lived is some of the best friends all across the country and all different types of, all different walks of life, whatever you want to call it. But uh, so I called on a couple more of my friends to come in to help me pull this off in light of the situation with Phil Vassar. Like uh, plug more in the big Swede? The big Swede, well, the big Swede will probably be there, but okay. he will not be performing. Oh, okay. Plug more is a walking performer, <laughs> as you know. He is. Uh, but uh, I wanted to, I'm not going to say replace. But I needed to find some people, wanted to find some entertainers that could help us keep the show on the road that, you know, and I've uh, something else, you and I have talked about this too, but if I'm calling to ask somebody to do something for the Herman Elliott Sadler Foundation, that's one thing. Getting people that are willing to come do something for a political campaign can be different for certain people. Some sure. people are just, they may think certain things, but not always willing to publicly view those um view their you know stance on certain things because they're afraid of backlash yeah. 
you know, but I'm here and proud to say that the show will go on. And um, Jason Michael Carroll, who another longtime friend of mine that is a tremendous uh, entertainer in the country music business, he has a multitude of, of, of top 30 and top 40 country singles in his career. I called him a couple of weeks ago. He said, Hermie, I'm there. So he's going to come in and plug in with JB and the Get Down Browns and play a set of music uh, with David Sneed and the band. And also Kyle Petty. Wow. Now, a lot of people know Kyle Petty through his racing and being a part of NASCAR's first family yeah. and all these kind of things. But Kyle Petty is also a very accomplished singer and songwriter. He told he talked about that when we had him on a podcast. In so Kyle podcast. Petty, talking about friends now. Yeah. Kyle Petty is going to fly up to Franklin on Monday, March 13th, and come and participate in the meet and greet because, you know, the VIP tables we sold included a meet and greet with Phil Vassar. Mm -hmm. So now the meet and greet will be with Kyle Petty and Jason Michael Carroll prior to the show. And so we all now we have Jason Michael Carroll and um, Kyle Petty coming to Franklin to be a part of the event. And I have another special guest, friend of mine, performer, country music singer that I'm going to keep as a surprise that's going to come into Franklin that night and sit in with the band and do a three or four song tribute to Phil Vassar. Wow. So, man, you're like a showstopper. You, you uh, sounds like you've done a very good job. But all that being said, first and foremost, um, uh, my prayers go out to Phil Vassar and his family. Mm-hmm. And friends and fans, and we look forward to, at the appropriate time, uh, getting Phil uh, as a part of uh, of a show for us down the road. So Monday night, March 13th, at main event in Franklin, we're not going to change. You know, tickets are still available. VIP tickets are still available. You can go to Saddler4Virginia.com. It looks like you're buying a ticket to go to Phil Vassar, but I just didn't want to change it. Right. I just didn't want to change it, but I'm letting people know that you will not only hear JB and the Get Down Browns band, who's a great band and entertainers in their own right, but also Jason Michael Carroll and Kyle Petty and another special musical guest that will come in that's going to do uh, a tribute to Phil Vassar. So, you know, I'll turn this off. Here, it's off. Who is it? Who's the special? It's a surprise. No, it's not recording. The last thing that's uh, I want people to know that's really why we're selling all these tickets is uh, Senator Bill Stanley. <laughs> the MC. The MC, Senator Bill Stanley, will be emceeing the event uh, in Franklin. So, look, we've had a lot of success, yeah, uh, a lot of support. You know, the first week we put these tickets on sale, we sold 150 or so tickets. So, but I've kind of been in a, in a little bit of a holding pattern, mm -hmm. um, communicating with Phil and his family. So uh, we, we've agreed now that it's time to announce what we're doing with the show. And so we're excited to see everybody in Franklin on Monday, March 13th for JB and the Get Down Browns, Jason Michael Carroll, and Kyle Petty, and a special another, another special guest. You're not even going to tell me. No, sir. It's that I special. I want to be a surprise well, that, for you, too. Well, 
I don't like surprises. I might even let you sing. <laughs> Please don't. That'll that'll bring me in. Won't yeah, it? yeah. If you want to raise money, don't. Yeah. No, I, I'll sing in the parking lot. How's that? All right. So uh, before we wrap up here, tell us about what's going on with SS Racing, Sadler Stanley Racing, getting ready for the 2023 tour. Bobby Labonte, Ryan Newman, it's big. Jonathan Cash, it's big. I mean, it's big. I heard we just did some testing. We did some testing. Um, Bobby got in the car. Bobby, they went down to Florence, mm. which is the site of the first race actually coming up Saturday. Right. Yeah. This is race week. You forgot. Yikes. <laughs> I did. I don't know that I'm going to Do make you have it. the motorhome ready? Motor coach is ready to rock. I need to wash it. Yeah. But I don't know if I'm going to be there. So this Saturday, the SS Racing Team kicks off the 2023 season at Florence Motor Speedway. Listen to, I, I know we talk about it a lot, but the two-car team for Sadler Stanley Racing. In the Smart Series. In the Smart Series. Southern Modified. Sponsored by Pacematic. Yes, you can say that. <laughs> Ryan Newman and Bobby Labonte. That's hot. That's hot. I love it. And the so car's good? Car's good. They went and tested this past week. Bobby called me uh, after the test. They tickled, thrilled to death, ready to go. How did uh, Phil do down in New Smyrna? Um, I didn't follow it every night, but I know they had two or three top fives during the week. Ran okay. okay. All right. Well, get some some good, you know, breaking in. Sure, sure. So now, now this is going to be exciting. So we've got the Smart Series. We've got them running some of the wheeling races. Yeah, right now the wheeling, uh, NASCAR wheeling modified tool races we're planning to run include a stacked slate of tracks in, in Virginia, which That's is right. really important for us. Yeah. Richmond, you know, we had a ball last year. You oh, got a suite. Yep. Going to do it again. Entertained a bunch of legislators and yep. supporters, some fundraisers. Yep. Those kind of things. Martinsville, we did a, you did a, you had a packed house at Martinsville. <laughs> had another suite. In the suite yeah. there. Langley Speedway. Can't wait to go to that. I mean, that's I a watch huge, that on TV. That's a huge great track. area. Yeah. A great track. Yeah. Um, so we'll do something there. And then North Wilkesboro. This year, the, the modified race at North Wilkesboro will be run under the NASCAR Wheeling Tour banner. And we have to go back to North Wilkesboro and defend. <laughs> Absolutely. Our race championship. Now, is that going to be during All-Star Weekend? Or is that going to be a different time? You know, I'm not know. sure. Okay. I, gotta, I gotta look at the schedule. Have you been watching the uh, progress that they're making in rebuilding North Wilkesboro? It's amazing. I have. It really but is amazing. At least for the first year, they're not messing with the track. See, and you know, you and I started this race team and this podcast for a certain reason, especially give us a platform to talk about our issues with skill games, but also uh, we really have a we share a love of short track racing, rural racing, grassroots racing, and we said we were going to you know we we're going to work to make sure that that. We rebuild racing from the ground up, and and to see North Wilkesboro uh, blossom so quickly, and and we were the ones that won the first race back. That, and in, in addition to Martinsville, Richmond, and Langley, and the Wheeling Modified Tour, the Smart Series this year they've added Lonesome Pine Speedway up in Coburn, yeah, Virginia. That's far southwest, but yeah, and but they still got Dominion, Motor Mile, South Boston, mm -hmm. Motor Mile, yeah, all these tracks that are a growing presence on the smart tour that one thing that you've always talked about is not only the races, but how important these races are to these rural communities. Yes. That the smart tour is going to this year. So uh, we're back year two. We've doubled everything up. We're running two cars everywhere we go. And for the majority of those races, Bobby Labonte and Ryan Newman, 
Ryan has a couple of conflicts during the course of the year due to, and I certainly understand it, his commitments to his daughters, uh, things he's doing with them, and Jonathan Cash, who really performed well for us at Hickory last year. Oh, yeah, he did until he got we'll, wrecked. We'll stop in. I mean, qualified top and fast in yeah. practice, qualified top five. Stuffed in the fence five. with like a couple to go. Wasn't his fault. No, no, it wasn't. Hickory was a night that I really soon forget <laughs> between. <laughs> we were really going to have both of our cars finishing in the top five. And then two minutes later, <laughs> one gets black flagged for a phantom restart right. violation, and right. the other one gets stuffed gets in the fence. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and but as they say, that's racing. Well, I don't know that I acted uh, completely properly, but I let my feelings know. I let them be known. Yeah. So you and you just walked out that race. You just turned around and said, "I've had enough." And you walked out of Hickory. You got in your car and you went. No home. need to. As I mean, you got to have a twenty-four hour cooling off period. Well, I'm excited about this year, especially with the race car drivers and the the fact that we're running two cars, which is very exciting, and yeah. we're running wheeling races and. You know, it's it's just going to be just super. I know you've got softball games, but you're going to try to make as many as you can. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I make I'll make more in the fall, uh, the spring. The schedule worked out. I'll, I'll make more this year in the, in the in the spring than I made last year. But once the fall gets there, I I plan to be much more involved and engaged. Um, okay. Well, you uh, have campaigning to do too. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be, look, it's going to be tougher doing this podcast. We've just got to get together. And it's tougher with the race team because we both are running for re-election. Hopefully, I don't have a primary opponent. If I do, I'm, I'm going to fight like heck. I'm, I always campaign no matter whether I have an opponent or not. But after, you know, a primary season, then the general, if if I'm the nominee, if I'm given that honor, then the general is basically, you know, I'm an 80% Trump district, yeah. Senate district uh, that I hope to represent. So um, that's going to give me more time to be part of the racing but there's still those obligations you on the other hand from at least here to june are going to be chock-a-block and trying to get uh, delegates or, or yeah, i'm doing it i'm where I'm, i know you're I'm, you're working your butt off every day yeah that's great every day but uh let's fit some racing in and, and certainly here as we get done with the 2023 regular the session of the that general thing Center. that shep says you put on the back of your motorhome uh the extra compartment for the Oh, for the honey wagon. What do you call it? <laughs> I can't remember. Honey what wagon? It. Yeah, the honey wagon. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was like the extra crapper. Yeah. The extra shitter. <laughs> crapper uh, plus one. Yeah. But as we as we draw to close on the General Assembly session, we're going to focus more on racing as yeah. these podcasts go on. Uh, but we'll still have the political stuff uh, as well. But I think we're going to have some great interviews. You know, we're probably going to have Bobby and Ryan as interviewed. We're going to do a lot of this recording when we meet up at the track, which I think is always more fun. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I finally got a motor coach that's, you know, at least just a little, just a notch below yours. But, you know, we pull up alongside each other. It'll be fun. Faster, stronger, and newer. <laughs> it's newer. Congratulations. Thank you. And, uh, and the smaller hey, don't worry. Shooter. I'm not going <laughs> to. Try to one up you. I'm I'm pretty sure what I got. Are you sure. So you don't have to okay. trade three times in one year like you did last year to try to get <laughs> try twice. to frog me. It was twice. Yeah. It was twice. But you know, I mean that thing was like a hot little Civil War submarine at North Wilkesboro. It was about to die and all those kids in there. I just got uh, you know, I had to switch. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Uh really excited about this year. And yep, our, our team is much more prepared heading into the season. Because we got our stuff built. We got a double-decker hauler, too. Got a double-decker hauler. It Decked looks great. Out. But the, last year, we were racing and building cars and building our team as we go. Right. This year, we've got four brand-new cars built and ready. Two built specifically for the Smart Series. Two built specifically for the Wheeling Tour. Because we've got a couple things this year 
where the races are back to back, like the Virginia swing coming up. More, uh, Richmond is Friday night. South Boston the is the next day. Yeah, and April first is so it's back to back. So you, it was like that last year because yeah. we parked the coach, went up to Richmond, mm -hmm. came back that night, and then hit the races. But we're running two cars in both those races. Wow! So we have to have four cars ready to go to the racetrack that weekend uh, in case the worst scenarios happen and you have to be prepared for those. You've got, you can follow along with our race uh, season at www.sadlerstanleyracing.com. Find us on all the social platforms. Of course, we'll be talking about them every week of the upcoming races. So mm -hmm. if you want to come out, let us know you're coming and we'll make sure we make it a great adventure for you. Meet the drivers, get I'm their autographs, hang out to, with us. To enjoy it more this year. It was yeah. stressful last year getting everything up and going, but we're, we're, we're prepared for a great season this year, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's so great to have the Labontes Christens working with us, and and so great to have Ryan Newman and Mackenzie, and just I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Like a kid at Christmas, where Christmas goes from March to October. So tell our viewers uh, what's coming up next here on the podcast, your interview. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break here in a second. And, and coming up is Senator Dave Marson, Democrat from Northern Virginia. He's got some great insights. And, and at least give him a listen. You don't have to agree with him. I didn't. You can tell when I'm not agreeing with him. But but we had a really interesting conversation, like I said earlier. And I think it's it really demonstrates what Virginia politics is and should be and still can be. We can disagree, as Winsome Sears would say. Our Without Lieutenant being disagreeable. Without being disagreeable. I agree. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to this segment. Stay tuned after these messages. Uh, we'll be right back with Senator Dave Marston. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12, the Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pace of Madden. 
Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. But there is no turning left during this interview, but we have somebody who's definitely leaning left, and that's my good friend, Senator Dave Marsden from Fairfax. Guilty as charged. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Good to be here. Just to set it up, we're taking a little break here in the last day of the General Assembly session. Uh, We're... They were trying to work out the budget and the last bit of bills that are in conference. And we have like about an hour break. So we decided to come over here and talk. And, and I'm just honored to have you here as a, a guest for us. And the good thing is you don't have to put up with Hermie Sadler. He will not be here, oh. uh, you know, uh, well, making like, wisecracks. He's, he's like way more famous than you. He is, he is way more <laughs> famous than me. He is supersized famous, and uh, even though he's very short. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we do this podcast. You and I were talking about it, and uh, Hermie and I usually do the interviews together. But he's there's been an occasion, like with George Allen, he went out to George's place and interviewed him alone, and that was a great uh, a great thing. That was last year when we were here in the General Assembly session on the late night, so I couldn't do it, and he went out and did it. So now, now it's my turn. I get to, to uh, you are have my guest. You are the boss. And see, I picked my guest, my favorite guy in the, in the uh, state senate. Uh, am I a guest or a victim? Uh, we'll see how this turns out. Okay. You could be a guest. You could be a victim. That's the part of the of the podcast that's the most fun. It's the unknown. Th- that that could be a TV quiz show. Oh, it could indeed. Now, <laughs> yeah. now guest Dave, or a victim. <laughs> Dave, you've been in the state senate how many years? Uh, 18. Well, uh, 14 in the state Senate, four in the House of Delegates. Okay. So what what, ever deci- what made you decide for yourself? I mean, I know you're in juvenile justice. You worked for the state. Uh, you had a great career. Why would you mess it up and come to, to Virginia <laughs> Capitol and, well, and be involved in politics? I, I, I tell you, it was very serendipitous. Uh, uh, I, I ran the, uh, the, the state's Virginia Juvenile Justice Association and the v- Virginia Juvenile Detention Association. And I started uh, running bills for those organizations when they would have an issue come up that needed a legislative solution. And I became friends with a fellow named Jim Dillard. Uh, Jim was really Virginia's last liberal Republican. Hmm. Uh, You know, Jim was a a business deregulating, you know, uh, progressive Republican back in the 50s. He wrote his his college thesis uh, around... You know uh, his issues with the the bird machine and uh, the, the the lack of competitive uh, business regulations here in the United States and in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where everything was was designed toward protecting existing businesses. Like the committee that Harry was on, apparently on the on the uh, in the uh, U.S. Senate, was the run that created a lot of the CCs, like the ICC. So oh, really? y'all y'all had to you, you apparently had to charge the same thing for haul and goods uh, as anybody else. Everybody had charged the same price. And uh, and so it was, uh, you remember when airlines all had the same 
uh, same charge if you went from one city to the I next. I do. I that, do. That was apparently that committee in, in Congress that Harry was on. It was designed to protect existing businesses from competition because if you can't undercut your competitors' prices, you're starting up and you want to go after the big guy, can't do it. And uh, if you have to charge the same things. And uh, that's what wow. he got his career, his, his political career started on as a college student. You know, trying to uh, get after that, and he was a uh, a, a progressive Republican, and uh, he sort of got you know moved uh, out of the party as it began to shift towards the Christian right coming in, the Tea Party coming in, and then the the MAGA movement, you know that mm -hmm. that type of thing, and and uh, he had wanted me to succeed him, and I said, you know, Jim, I'm probably not going to make a real good Republican. <laughs> and I'd run his campaign in 1999 after I retired from the from. Um, uh, the juvenile court in Fairfax. And uh, so, you know, I run, ran a couple of his campaigns and, and then we decided to make the switch and he supported me. Uh, it cost him. Uh, he was placed on the uh, board at William & Mary by Mark Warner when he became governor because Jim had gone there and was an educator his whole life. He was a, a, a teacher and a principal and, uh, uh, and, a, and, a, and a really a progressive uh, Educator, head of the education committee in the House of uh, uh, House of uh, Delegates, and uh, so we decided I'd run as a Democrat. He supported me, and I, when I ran his campaign, <laughs> now what year won. was this? Huh? What year was this? Ninety nine. So ninety nine, I guess Northern Virginia was starting to turn. It was beginning a little yeah. bit, although that year was because before of, it was Republican a lot. Yeah, it was in fact the was, Democrats were down south where I was. That's right. That was the zenith of of Republican uh, activity in Northern Virginia. Gilmore had won in '98, I guess it was, and uh, and uh, you know they picked up some seats in 2000 and actually took control of the House of Delegates for the first time in 200 and whatever right. years. Right. And uh, so I, you know, I ran as a Democrat, and they they took him off the board of William and Mary uh, uh, because of you, uh, partially. And in another situation, uh, uh, Jim had given a uh, campaign contribution to his uh, uh, one of his, his staff people who was going to run in a seat where the incumbent had the, the incumbent Republican had said he wasn't going to run again. And so he gave the guy a contribution to get in. And then the guy said, yes, I am running. And you gave a contribution to my opponent. <laughs> and that never happens. You know, uh, people that, changing that, their mind. That, like yeah, that. That, yeah, so that, that was uh, tough. But uh, I, 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 after doing that, I came down and uh, was chief deputy and acting director of the Department of Juvenile Justice for two and a half years with my good friend Carl Peed, who was just uh, who had lost Sheriff his Carl Peed. Yeah, yeah, he lost a, a, an election. Unfortunately, he was a wonderful man. He, I learned so much from him about managing and how to treat people, and you know how to go you know through the the, the bureaucracy and get down and, and 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 really talking to people who were doing the jobs every day, not just your your immediate reports, your assistant directors and your managers, but you know talking to folks and uh, and learning how to handle you know difficult political situations. He was he was a gem, and he was a long-serving force in Fairfax. Yes, yes, he for was for a long time. Yes, I mean, when I was practicing law, he was sheriff. Yep, mm -hmm. and, and his, a heck of a guy. Yeah, and his his father-in-law had been sheriff for a number of years, uh, Sheriff Swinson, and he had married Sheriff Swinson's daughter. Oh, is that right? And uh, and you know worked his way up through the sheriff's department and uh, eventually got elected to uh, sheriff. And uh, Wayne Huggins, our former superintendent of state police and head of the state police association, uh, you know Wayne was sheriff in uh, in Fairfax as as well. Just all wonderful, wonderful guys. Uh, not of my current political party, but uh, just good people. Well, I think down deep inside, 
there's a Republican inside of you waiting to get out, Dave. Is that true or not true? I, oh, that guy's <laughs> locked away, and I and, and uh, I had somebody else swallow the key. <laughs> Well, you know, every every single one of us, uh, you know, Don McEachin used to say, uh, and the late, great Don McEachin used to say, you're a hard-ass conservative on the outside, Stanley, but there's a crunchy, chewy liberal in there somewhere. I know yes, it. Yes, there is. And I used to say the same about him in reverse, <laughs> uh, because here was this ultra, you know, capitalist uh, Don McEachin who who then would espouse these liberal views. And, and I would look at him like, you don't really believe that, do you? And he'd laugh. <laughs> and then, you know, we used to have a ritual, and it was kind of a joke, but but we thought it was funny, but we do it every year when we open session. Um, we knew we were going to go into our corners and fight and not agree on things. But right before the session was gaveled in, we would touch wallets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's lawyer, that's lawyer the, stuff there. <laughs> it was the lawyer. Ladies and gentlemen in podcast world, <laughs> that is lawyer talk. Yeah, that right was there. lawyer talk. You know, let's, wallet to wallet. Remember, yeah, yeah, remember the profession comes second. <laughs> yeah. There and you so, go. you know, and he was a wonderful guy in there. So, so you decide, you, you know, you run, you won, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when were I you ran, the first Democrat to win in Northern Virginia in a while? No, no. There, there were there were others there. Uh, it was kind of a mixed bag. Because uh, you had Jane Woods up there. You had Jane. You, you know. had a lot of delegates who were Republicans mm -hmm. up there. Yep, you did. But we had uh, you know Vivian Watts had been there. Dick Saslaw was a you know was the the major force in the in the Senate. Uh, you know during uh, those years, Ken Plum. Uh, of course, Arlington had uh, had switched before Fairfax and right. had become Democrat. And uh, and now, uh, you know, you can't find uh, anyone holding office in Northern Virginia. I think <laughs> you can't. Who's I, that? A Republican? I think yeah. I think I think a little bit of Prince William County is Richard Stewart. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think Dave LaRock certainly has a, a little piece of uh, Loudoun and Clark County up there. But, you know, in terms of everything in the middle between those two. Uh, yeah. Uh, extremes is 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 Democrat. It's amazing how that switched, uh, you know. And and we saw that last bit of the wave of the Republicans going away. What four years ago in elections, yeah. and the House lost a, almost every single. If do they even have a Republican from Northern Virginia other than Dave LaRock? If you count him, uh, I don't no, think they do. Uh, not 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 really. We have one uh, Republican member of the Fairfax County Board of Supervisors, and I think there's some the in chairman? Loudoun and and uh, in Loudoun County still has uh, members who are Republican, and so does. Loudoun County's coming back. I'm telling you right now, huh? it's going to come back. It's, well, it's getting yeah. purpley. It's going to go red. Hey, I'm every, having a feeling. Everything. The parental movement is is making people wake up and and see the cost of progressivism and and, and embracing a new type of conservatism up there. Uh, you know, well, we're, you know, we're, we we've we've done awfully awfully well under our last two Democratic governors. We we set up this administration pretty well with revenue pouring in and. And, uh, you know, I think we've made the state, you know, a little bit more welcoming and we've kind of led the South in terms of, uh, of moving a little in a progressive direction. And uh, I don't think it's hurt things one bit. And uh, but, you know, those Governor, views expressed by Dave Marsden are exclusively of Dave Marsden <laughs> and not the leading right and turning left and settler in the center podcast. <laughs> I mean, well, that's it. Well, it takes two to, it takes two to tango. And uh, and, and we do have to. uh, uh uh, you know, have our, our opposing views. And the way I, I put it to some of my constituents when I have an opportunity to to speak candidly with them is that, you know, really one of the, 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 the big differences between our two parties can be described in the in in the last lines of our Pledge of Allegiance, liberty and justice for all. And to some extent, and this is obviously a you know metaphor and an exaggeration a little bit, but you're either a Liberty Virginian or a Justice Virginian. You know, if you're if you're rural, white, Christian, older, family's been there forever. 
uh, your economy got washed out from under you. In the, in the case of Southside, you lost NAFTA you lost, and CAFTA. Huh? Yeah, NAFTA and, and, and that and, and that certainly was uh, was part of it. You lost coal, yeah. tobacco, furniture, textiles, the railroads that went with all of that, yeah. and just got. Out. And why did Go it get on. wiped out, though? For us, Sir, our, our, our knowledge was the government kept saying tobacco is bad for you. We'll pay you not to grow it. Well, and, 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 then, and then, you know what? We need cheaper sneakers uh, and furniture is too expensive. We need to make nice with the Chinese and the North American free trade and, and, the, and the Central and, uh, and your, American and your, free you trade. Are, you are correct. And, you and know, they all went away. We're all complicit. So we don't trust the government, quite yeah, frankly, because every time well, they tell us something's going to be good for us, it sucks. But at the same time. You know, Republican-led corporations offshored things. Oh, give me a break, Republican-led yes, yes, yes. corporations. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. They went Come to on. they went to China for cheap labor and and, uh, and you know this is this is where I told you we just don't really plan. We just talk, and I love this so far. <laughs> but you know, if you think about it now, your party is really corporate America, and our party is like just the every guy, the the regular guy. And you guys used to be the regular guy, the little guy. And we used to be corporate America. I mean, I'm, I'm acknowledging there, that there perhaps is, there is a certain we were protecting of, big companies, big tech, a, big there's pharma. There's a certain amount of that. And, uh, all, but, the, all the social media companies are big liberal companies. Yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, they're doing, you know, they have like uh, inclusive policies. But, but you guys have learned how to use them more effectively <laughs> well, than we did. Well, we're trying, but we're usually playing catch up. We have a lot to talk about that, about how you guys always do something. And we yeah. go, wow, I guess we need to do that too in politics. Yeah. But, but, but the result of all that... You know that that loss. It, it became an attack on our culture and, and our loss of liberty. You know, is the way I think people interpreted that. But if you're urban suburban, uh, you know, you are younger, you are diverse religiously, ethnically, racially. You're probably from some other state. Right. You probably did really really well in college, and you've come there to to make your uh, to to make your uh, uh, your living and and to make your life. And you're working 10, 12 hours a day, and you don't know the homeless guy on the corner like they do in Withville. Mm -hmm. You don't know the 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 challenge. Because that guy's got a family, and we usually are either related or we know about it. Yeah, you, you know about it. And so you're saying to yourself, I'm willing to pay. Just take care of these, these folks. Government, you know, you take care of, 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 of that individual. You know, we want justice for that person. We want, we want fairness you know, for that, for that person. So liberty and justice, you know, the last line of our Pledge of Allegiance, and, mm -hmm. and, and actually they've used to be a concept that when we were growing up, it was, a, it was a, uh, uh, something that we could all identify with. Yeah, liberty and justice for all, those are good things. Oh, yeah. And now they're kind of two different frames for how we look at the world, what our dreams are made of. Either, you know, our dreams are made up about liberty or our dreams are made up about justice. And that's a little bit of the difference between Republicans and Democrats. It's not a perfect, you know, certainly explanation. And, and the other, the other, I think, difference that, that we see is that Democrats have become more and more comfortable with the transformation of society. Not always perfectly comfortable, mm -hmm. but recognizing that, uh, that, that women have been held back and minorities have been held back and that, you know, we, we need to, uh, you know, provide uh, mechanisms for, for, for them to get there. Uh, and, and to and to be part of everything and and it it uh, and sometimes that you know can get scary and and you're what, saying we're scared conservatives are scared of change well a, a little bit and I think <laughs> that what what happens is you, you get into the idea of trying to restore let's get back to a time when we were comfortable when we felt better because all of these things that are going on today they didn't happen when I was a kid I never saw this stuff. 
Uh, I never knew LGBT kids. I didn't know about transgender stuff. So where's all this coming from? How, how did all this? It, it, it is. It's different. And, and you want to return to an era uh, when this stuff was just not an issue. Well, don't you think, though, I mean, you know, and, and I love that perspective that you guys have. But I don't think it's exactly accurate because conservatives are more, I don't think, you know, every generation says, man, back in the day. I mean, you hear Dick Saslaw talking about back in the day, how much better it was. And he's retiring and, and we're going to miss him. He's been in the Senate 40 years. I mean, that's amazing. I don't think I could ever do that. But, you know, when we talk about uh, the past, it's that, man, we were all trying to get along. We we're all trying to be left alone. Every opportunity we all believe in conservative uh -huh. mindset is that that opportunity is out there. It's got to be an equal opportunity. It doesn't guarantee equal results. Mm -hmm. And go live your life. I just don't want it jammed down my throat. What I'm getting from my liberal friends is that, well, you guys have been jamming your lifestyle and conservatism down our throats uh -huh. with, you know, by, you know, limiting freedom of, of this or that. And so... I think mostly Republicans are like, look, we'd like government to be small and not in our, you know, in our yeah. lunch every day. And we want everybody to be those that need to be, be protected, be protected. I don't think that's a partisan issue. But the rest of us just want to be left the hell alone, right? Yeah. yeah. You guys want to just you want to change the world and impose it on everybody. Oh, God, I wouldn't say exactly that. But but I just finished a book called Adrift America in 100 Charts. Oh, good Lord. What, a Venn diagram oh, it, from it, Kamala it is, Harris in it, there? It is. It is. <laughs> it's an interesting thing, but it is just like a quick course in where we've been, how are we trending, where are we now in any number of areas, just data, and then some comments on that data. And one of the things that they determine, the author determines, and I've seen him on television, um, and he said that clearly the thing that makes America unique the thing that has made us so successful since you know the the Roosevelt era, World War World War Two, is the federal government. Oh my God! What Are the federal government has done with the, the the highway system? True, true. With Eisenhower's uh, highway with, system, with research and development that that private sector has been able to build upon uh, to make things work. Okay, I don't federal, disagree with that. The federal government uh, gets vilified. When in fact, and certainly they go too far and, you know, $400 hammers and all the, the crazy stuff you hear about. But when you back off to 30,000 feet, Bill, and you look at what the government has done, that's, that's when you get to the idea that, you know, as painful as it is sometimes, you know, it, it's a system that has worked to make this country the greatest country in the history of the world. Uh, but you're because, talking about past, not prologue. Well, it, it is. We're still the greatest country in the world right oh. now. Look, look, look what our technology is doing to to the Russians <laughs> right now. That, look, look, look where their look, yes. look where their stuff. But is. we can't shoot down a balloon. Uh, it mean. is. Well, we. Uh, I, I think we were amused by said balloon, and we just <laughs> wanted to make sure it got to Virginia Beach so it could be shot down without being in violation of the state's one balloon law. Yeah, <laughs> the, that Jen Kagan's law. That, that's, that's right, Jen Kagan's law. That so, was uh, a violation. <laughs> the Commonwealth law. That was the most ridiculous. See, that to me, that's too much big government. I mean, you remember when uh, Senator Jeff McWaters, our friend, uh, he's now he was replaced by Jen Kiggins, and he carried that uh, balloon bill. Mm -hmm. And I remember making the argument. I'm like, what are we going to set up the state police around the bouncy house waiting for little Johnny to let that balloon go? And like, we got him. We got him. <laughs> and and it just seemed to be um, more platitudes yeah. Uh, and, yeah. than anything that was significant. And she went, if you remember, she went and brought the bill back. 
And I think we passed it. Yeah, we passed it. We did. But do you remember I was walking behind her with an alien balloon (laughs) staring at her? And then then the funny thing about that argument was I inhaled the helium because I wanted to speak on the floor like, you hate balloons. (laughs) And they didn't call on me. And I'm like holding it in. And then, you know, like, so I finally go, why do you hate balloons? You know, I finally got it out. I about passed out trying to make a joke of this thing. And it actually passed and it got signed into law. And now you can't release it in the Commonwealth of Virginia, ladies and gentlemen. One balloon into the air, you are a criminal. Yeah, criminal. well, that's that's the thing. But it the was, Chinese game. It, it was to protect the birds. The birds were eating oh, the, it was the turtles and the turtles. Every you know, it, it was. Uh, <laughs> you know, we 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 are foolish sometimes. But let me let me. I went another. home that after that session, and I released like four. Oh. Okay, and I was like, look at me, civil disobedient. Turn yourself in. Uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping the uh, statute of limitations. Let, is let me let me give an interesting <laughs> an interesting perspective just on 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 on. Periods of time in this country, you know, after yeah. after well, World a great War, after World, after after World War II, you know, I was born in 1948. I'm 74 years old. Oh wow! And you uh, look good for 78. Hey, thank you. Well, it's not it's not how you feel; it's how you look. Absolutely, look at my go. hair. That's the only thing that matters here. <laughs> Everything else is terrible. And uh, in 1948, there were like uh, 40,000 people in Fairfax County. We were mostly a dairy county, and oh, yeah. a few government workers, and not not much going on. And that year, there were 40 traffic deaths. And 20 homicides. In Fairfax. In Fairfax. And you flash forward, and I and I heard I heard Sharon Bulova, David Bulova, who's yeah, delegate David Bulova's mom, who was chairman of the Board of Supervisors, used, used this story. And uh, when we hit a million people, you run the numbers again. 40 traffic deaths, 15 homicides with a million people. That? How do you explain that? Well, the, the auto stuff I mean, that's is pretty easy. Stuff. Yeah, the, the, the auto stuff is pretty easy. Seatbelts. Uh, airbags, tires that didn't uh, remember the first tubeless tires that used to just blow. Mm-hmm. All the roads were old uh, native trails of, of uh, indigenous Americans, and there was always a big oak tree that used to wear automobiles. Who people drunk driving was? Oh yeah, we had a big enforced. one on Courthouse Road, right? Yeah, there. yeah. Drunk driving was a, was a sport. Indiana. Yeah, they they didn't have guardrails, or a lot of times didn't have stop signs. Didn't have all that good federal government. All that all that ingenuity. all that government oversight <laughs> that was saving people's lives. Ah. And so uh, uh, steering wheels didn't impale you. You know, the people stopped drag racing. You couldn't go fast enough. Traffic was too heavy. Well, and drunk driving was yeah. not a sport. But what about the homicides? Yeah. How do you how do you explain that? Well, look at what our guys went through coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. What, 600, 650,000 people? Mm-hmm. The drug problems, the alcohol problems, the domestic abuse, the, the mental health issues and what have you. Horrible PTSD, terrible sure. stuff. 600, 650,000 people coming back to this country. 1948, you're talking 13.5 million. From World War II. From World War II, coming back to a community where not only was drinking accepted, it was expected. And it was semi-rural, uh, you know, at the time. Nobody used credit. And it was still rural in the 70s when I got there because yeah. the was deployed to the Pentagon. You went west of Vienna. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was football fields and farms. Yep. It, it, Centerville was not even really a place. You know, it was a crossroads for it, 29 it, and 50. It, it was. And, and, the, uh, and the issue is that there were no credit cards and what have you back in the 50s and 60s. Everybody had cash. And people were desperate at times. And gas stations got stuck up and convenience stores and grocery stores and banks and what have you. And things would go wrong. Somebody would get killed. And Bill, in 1948, what choice did a woman have but to stay there till he killed you? Who were you going to tell? 
Well, the Democrats were in charge back then. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a different Democratic Party, too. Now, now that, that's Virginia. a great point. I, you know, you and I could talk about this stuff for hours. This is fascinating. But, you know, I hear, and, and that's a really good point uh, that you just made there. You're making some really good points here, Dave, and I have to admit it, which is probably ruining my reputation as a, as a true blue conservative. Oh, your, your reputation's been ruined for years. Okay. So don't, okay. don't worry about but it. But I hear, you know, I hear from, you know, Dick Sasswell's big thing, you know, the Democratic Party wasn't the Democratic Party it is today. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's fine, but there wasn't some mass exodus of Democrats over to the Republican side. Uh huh. I mean, they just—you may have changed your changed your attitudes toward women and 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 race and those kind of things because you know Bill Connor was not a Republican. No, okay, no, right? Uh, no, they, yeah. we were. But we I don't remember anybody. In, there's like this huge sea change where those old Democrats turned into and now started running as Republicans. Yeah. No. Well. No. They. You know. When. Uh, when Mills Godwin ran for the second time, uh, as a Republican, that was the, the sort of the dog. The motion to will. come over. Come on over, all you <laughs> old a, conservative bird Democrats. <laughs> the virtue and, signaling and, back you know, then guys in the seventies. Like Putney, you know, came over as independents, but but kept their you know their 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 conservative views and and yeah the the you know rural Virginia. The only thing that 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 held the Democrats uh, in, in Virginia for a long time in the South Side and Southwest were the unions, but when the unions, they could get you all the salary and benefits you wanted, and it was great. But if they couldn't get you a job, right. what were you going to do? And the unions couldn't get you a job, and those jobs disappeared. And so after people, NAFTA, said, yeah. people said, "Well, uh, you know, culturally, I'm a conservative." person and they switched to the Republican Party rather quickly. You and I were both in Northern Virginia when I started to see the sea change in terms of population growth explosion. A lot of companies coming in because the federal government was right there. Um, 66, I remember, geez, it it stopped somewhere west. It didn't go all the way through Mm -hmm. way back in the day. And then it was just this explosion of people. And I remember growing up in Vienna and my dad was at the Pentagon, so it was against my will. Okay, I was forced. It was a, it was not a voluntary act. I got out of there as soon as I could. But what I remember was is that even in Vienna, like in the 70s and 80s, very tight community. Everybody still knew who each other were. You go back there now, I can barely find where I lived and grew up. Oh. But the but the attitude of the people has changed. You know, down where I'm at, it kind of feels still like Vienna did back in the 70s, 80s. Everybody waves at you. How's your mama? You know, talks to you that way. You go up to Northern Virginia, it's like everybody has blinders on. Mm-hmm. They're in a crappy-ass mood. They're in the highway hours at a time every day. And they, they've got the blinders that they get out of the garage, they drive, they get on Route 50, stop, uh, drink their coffee, uh, takes an hour and a half to get to work. They go to work, they do their job, they put the blinders back on, and they drive back to their house and the garage door comes down. Yeah. It is. And it seems to remove the humanity yeah. that used they're, to they're be the, very strong. They're the same as they've always been. They're the same as people in Southwest Virginia. It's just that whenever you meet people in Northern Virginia, they're trying to get somewhere, and that makes you grumpy. Once they get there, they're the same as everybody else, but in the process, like you just said. Well, they don't wave. Now, you come down to my area, you know, we wave at each other. Even the guy on the lawnmower, you wave at him. And if you are preoccupied and you don't wave at them, you meet them at the Quickie Mart the week later, they're like, are you mad at me? That's how it goes. Janet Howell took a tour through Southside, Southwest Virginia. She's like, the people are all nice and they talk to you Uh, uh, and they wave at you and there's no traffic. Well, I got to tell you, I got to tell you about my last experience going to sound to see my friend Ward Armstrong in uh, former delegate and former delegate minority leader of the, of the, one of my best friends and uh, guy. Oh, wonderful guy. And uh, so I'm, I'm going down there to see him and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm driving south of Roanoke and I, I come across a sign. I got a little extra time because 
uh, I'm, so I'm driving kind of easy and looking, looking around. I see the sign said, talking dog for sale. <laughs> said, what in the hell? Talking dog? So I said, I got some time. I, I, I got to check this out. I pull into a driveway. It's kind of a long driveway, you know, through the woods. And I get to this little, little <laughs> white house and a picket fence around there. And uh, I get out and I walk up to the to the fence. And this dog runs over and puts its paws up on the fence. And, and I said, well, I suppose you're the talking dog. And he went, well, yeah, that's me. Been talking since I was a pup. I don't know why. I don't know how, but it just happened. And uh, I was, you know, speaking a number of languages. And it just was a, a, a gift, I guess. And I went, holy hell what in the world is going on here and he said yeah if i put it to good use and said you know i worked for the state department of the cia for years and i would accompany people on diplomatic trips and then when they'd leave the room i'd stay behind to hear what the enemies were were talking about and i did that for a while and i kind of got tired of that and i came back and i and i got bored pretty quick so i started a job with tsa i would get out of the airport and snoop around folks and try to find bad guys who were talking about doing things to airplanes and what have you. And we caught a few of them, but yeah, you know, I decided it was time to go. So I came back here and, you know, raised a couple of litters of pups and, you know, been here ever since. I said, damn, this is just extraordinary. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the dog kind of shrugged his shoulders and what have you. So I said, I got to do something here. So I went up to the door and knocked on the door and Man who owned the house came to the door and I said, uh, "Understand, you got a talking dog for sale? How much?" And he said, ten bucks." I said, ten bucks, sir! You have the ninth wonder of the world on your hands. What do you mean, ten bucks?" And he says, "Oh, that dog—he's just a bullshitter. He's never been outside the yard." <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. oh da -dum -dum. <laughs> you know, you got our first told joke on this podcast. Fifty-seven episodes. You are the first one. To, and for a second, I was believing. And about halfway through it, I was going, this is why we should never have legalized marijuana. This is not good. <laughs> it is. No, I, 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 I did not imbibe on the way over here. <laughs> well, but, you know, you and I took a trip down to Southside and Southwest. We did. Virginia with uh, Barbara Favola, another senator friend of ours, looking at school modernization, seeing mm -hmm. the differences between schools up in your area that are nice and shiny and new. My old high school, Oakton High School, has been rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and we have schools down in our area that were, uh, you know, built before World War II yeah. and or built right after World War II and are in need of repair. And, and that, you know, in our minds, I think we agree on that as, as a nonpartisan issue creates kind of a disparity between the educational delivery oh. to those students in those areas with crumbling schools compared to the ones that are sitting in bright, shiny new ones in Loudoun County. Yeah. But that was an interesting trip because... You know, you don't talk about this is not a joke. It's funny, though, because I love Barbara Favola to death. She's so great. We're standing outside. We were in Christiansburg. Maybe you remember. And, um, and we're outside the school. And she goes, so where's the subway? <laughs> and she meant like public transit subway. And I said, it's right next to the to the food line down there. I mean, you hungry? And she looked at me like, what? And then she started laughing. And then the other one was, you know, she kept talking about in, in Arlington, which she represents. Each high school has an aquatic center, not uh -huh. just a pool, but an aquatic center. And I'm like, wow. And she goes, do you have an aquatic center? And we were standing in the principal's office, we remember, and I said, yeah, right behind you. And he had like a 50-gallon fish tank. <laughs> and she's like, ow. And, and either it. that or in a lot of the schools, we saw 50 buckets in the yeah. school catching water coming off the roof. That's the aquatic center. So, yeah. you know, what were your impressions from that trip? I mean, that has to be, sometimes people living in Northern Virginia never see the other side, never see the rest of Virginia. You know, yeah. what were your impressions from, from that trip that we took well, a couple that, years back? Yeah, because, well, what happened in the 50s, 60s, 70s to a certain extent, you know, 
Southside Virginia really was the driving economic force of the state, not Northern Virginia. Had the best hospitals, best schools, best, schools, best, best everything. And that, Highest per capita everything, income. Everything, everything got washed away in, in that loss. And I, I, I actually gave this speech one time when I, when I told folks, remember when we all went down to Dulles Airport for the Muslim ban, we were going to protest that. And everybody went down there and, and um, you know, because I thought it was wrong. And, and whatever. But imagine you're from Martinsville or Danville and you're watching people go down and protest. Uh, and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, our whole world got washed away over, a, what was it, a decade, decade and a half? Yeah, about, know, about a 10-year period. 10-year period, you know, got washed away. Where, where were you guys then? We're Virginians. We're, we're, your, we're Americans. We're, but, you know, it's the whole frog in boiling water thing. You know, when, when, when something pops into the boiling water, we pay attention to it. But when something kind of slowly cooks away, mm -hmm. uh, we don't see it. Hmm. And, uh, and, and, and we never felt that pain that people went through. Uh, in Southside Virginia. And the other talk I give to folks is when we talk about everybody comes to you when you're in Northern Virginia. Oh, Dave, just raise the gas tax 10 cents. Nobody will notice. I said, well, they will in Southside. Yeah. We all drive an hour. Because we travel more. Too. Yeah. Well, we all drive an hour to work. You know, they go 40 miles in a pickup truck. We go 12 miles in a Prius. <laughs> right. And the price of, you know, what's in our hardwired in our head is food, shelter, health care. If you're from Southside Virginia, it's food, shelter, healthcare, and gas. Gas. Yeah. Because I've I've got to get places, and and I can't I can't use a Prius. I've got a I've got five acres. I got ten acres. I've got, you know, stuff to clear and things to do. I'm not necessarily a farmer, but I, I do farm some. I may keep some chickens. I may you know do whatever, and uh, so I, I need a, you know, a pickup truck. I can't I can't go get great mileage in a Prius. It's a it's not a useful car for me, and plus it's too expensive. And, you know, it said that's what you have to understand is that these regional differences are, are what uh, drive the wedges between us, not only as people, but sometimes as political parties. Uh, and because we have that to reflect like regionalism. Yeah. And it, it kind of divides it, it divides naturally now along party lines. But it's really regionalism that seems to be the yeah. big difference maker or the big difference and problem and problematic issues arise from that. In Virginia and Virginia government, mm -hmm. no, there's absolutely you know no question about it. Sometimes you know who's driving it is the people driving the politicians or the politicians driving the people, but that's irrelevant. You know the the issue is we have these differences now, and until we can get greater equity in terms of there's the e word. Yeah, you just use I just used the e word. I'm gonna have to bleep but, you. But but it is <laughs> until we get greater equity of economic. Uh, it, it's it's hard to relate to each other. Well, you know, but the the thing is, is the per capita income where you live is six figures, one hundred twenty three thousand, something like yeah, that. Loudoun County, yeah. State average like is sixty, and I think it's brought down to sixty. It's a little over sixty, is because the state average for a family of four in my region, or the per capita average, is thirty five thousand. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the cost of living. I hear from Northern Virginia people. Yeah, but it doesn't cost as much to live down there. But it still costs. Sure it does. Eggs are still the same price, whether they're at the yeah. Giant Food in, in Fairfax or at the Kroger uh, in in. 20 cents uh, difference Lake. in gas prices doesn't make up for no. that, that, that income disparity. You know, and sometimes it's, it's – I think our perception has been, and especially when you guys came down, I think you saw a real – a need for something we had to address. And you've been a great champion alongside with me for school modernization. But we have a lot of legislators 
from Northern Virginia who go, well, I got mine. I don't care about yours. We got shiny schools. I don't care that you have crumbling schools. That's your problem. That's your problem to handle. And it's still been a struggle to even get that one across the finish line. If you would have told me what we did that three or four years ago, that we're still struggling with trying to get this General Assembly to take it upon themselves to fix schools, and they're everywhere, even in your area. We saw one up in Northern Virginia as well, Prince William County. Um, But there's just, I think, regionalism is, why do we want to give any school dollars down there? We've got ours. But yet, when Southside and Southwest Virginia with tobacco, coal, textiles, and manufacturing and furniture were leading the Industrial Revolution, Northern Virginia was always a growth area. That was a slow growth, government growth area. But we weren't saying, you know, I don't think we were keeping dollars away from Northern Virginia. And I may be wrong, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. We were allowing that kind of growth. It feels like for us down in Southside and Southwest that you guys don't give two hoots, and actually you'll impede our growth if we can because you don't want us to be as successful or a part of the Commonwealth when it comes to to economic oh, I, I don't, and revitalization. I, I, don't, I don't think that. You know, I don't think that way at all. I, I, you know, it, no, I'm not is, saying you specifically. It, I know you a, think it's, a, it's, a, it's alarming. Uh, you know the you know the differences, and 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 sometimes it's it's kind of like uh, uh, you know you know we need a hand up down here. We need some you know we need some some. But not a handout. We don't want a handout. Yeah, just and, a hand up. And, and, and we'll do the some, rest ourselves. And then sometimes when you when you try to do it, it's well, what do you? You know what are you doing messing with us down here? We'll take care of ourselves. Thank you very much. I mean that's the Scots Irish part of the yeah, world. Uh, you know, listen. I mean that's why it's moonshine. Down here. I mean, <laughs> the Scotsmen were down there. Remember, Dave. Even down there, like Franklin County didn't secede. Yeah, we wanted to be left alone. We didn't like any government. Didn't matter what kind, whether it was a Confederacy or the Union. Didn't care. Um, we were, you know, we were uh, in voluntary servitude, brought over, you know, in in that way, and and you know, paid for our freedoms in different ways. Doesn't doesn't even come close to to what slavery was. But there are single-minded people out there that just want to be left alone. But at the same time, it seems like, and and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that in Southside Virginia, we always feel like Northern Virginia says, "Well, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you." Yeah. And then pat you on the head and say, go on now. Uh, now well, look, we got you all these casinos. Uh, you should be happy now. We well, fixed but, your economic but, problems. But, but look at look at it this way, too. You and know, then you won't get a casino. You know, we, this, this, this state you know, used to be pay as you go. Harry Bird, yeah. build a road. You had the cash. You paid for it. You didn't borrow it and, and what have you. And then as, as, as Northern Virginia began to, to, to zoom in the 80s and 90s, it became a thing like, hey, look, we need these roads, and everybody, went, we're not paying for your roads. You know, you want you want uh, you want ninety five to to be widened. Uh, you you build express lanes, and you, and you pay for it. You the drivers up there, and then four ninety five, same thing. I sixty six right now, and it became the thing because of that disparity in in income. It was very logical for people in areas that that were struggling now, all of a sudden say, no, I don't want to pay for your roads. And uh, you won't pay for ours, you know, and and it is, but you know, we, you know, and and here's another myth. Okay. We do pay for, you know, in Fairfax, you know, roughly we pay for 75% of our baseline school costs and the state pays 25 and you're part of the world. It's reversed. Mm -hmm. And, and that's okay. You know, that's the, the, the local composite index. And that is, you know, absolutely, you know, okay. Um, but the, um, you know the, the 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 problem that 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 comes with all that is that it just highlights the disparity. It's it's like with the the, the car tax. Uh, the car tax 
uh, a twenty thousand dollar, twenty five thousand dollar car when Jim Gilmore was 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 doing the the car tax relief thing, uh, uh, was almost a thousand dollars in Northern Virginia. Hmm. That same car in Buchanan County was about two hundred bucks. Yeah. And so when they did the big billion dollar refund, when the state started paying it all, Fairfax County got a check for $900 for that car, but Cannon County got a check for $200 hmm. for that car. Well, you and, go, Jim Gilmore. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, up in Northern Virginia, they just shrugged and what have you. But, yeah. you know, we don't have any local newspapers that covered that. If, I, if you ask people in Northern Virginia, and I did. You know, how many people up here, you know, they, they, I just would say, you know, the car tax, same everywhere in the state, right? They go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not. And One of my first educations from Dick Sasslow was that they really screwed that up for your area. <laughs> you know, we lost a lot of money, a lot of tax yeah, revenue. you did. You did. That money got mainlined that gimmicky in Northern Virginia. But then up, but, but the, 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 the mantra up our way, though, is we send down 42 cents of every dollar the state gets. And we get about 18 or 19 cents back. And, and, and I ask people, how many people have heard that? And they all raise their hand and say, well, let me tell you, what if I told you we don't want that money back? And they go, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? We don't want that money back. Right. So, well, look, where's that money go? It runs state government. It runs state government at Richmond. There's 112,000 employees or something in, or 60,000 in the Richmond area, 125 state employees. I said, you know, all that money goes to put hospitals in places where the state can afford to put them, prisons where the state can afford to put them. All this money goes to things. Basically, Northern Virginia, who pays for a lot of this stuff, is offshoring their costs to rural areas who need those jobs. And, you know, it works out pretty well. There is no part of a state job that you want in Fairfax County because for the state of Virginia to put an employee up there, they have to pay them an extra 15 to 20 percent. Right. Uh, it, you know, it, 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 so look, you are taking advantage of this. Suppose we move the whole government to Springfield, the entire Richmond, Supreme Court, Governor's oh. Mansion, everything takes all that land out of our tax base, and we got to give everybody a 15, 20% raise, and who's going to pay for it? You are. So don't get into this whole thing about we, we pay for the whole state. Uh, and, and the problem becomes is, yeah. Okay, yeah, we got the prison down here, and our kids can grow up, and they can, you know, work as correctional officers. Your kids are growing up; they're software engineers. Yeah, uh, and because they're taught coding in second grade, and uh, we only have one electrical outlet in some of our classes. Uh, they can't even put a computer. Exactly, in. and that's what I'm getting at in terms of this whole equity thing, and why the school uh, modernization thing was so important. It gets so hard when people drift so far apart for things that it doesn't have anything to do with human values, or we don't like you, or you don't like us, or what have you. Your circumstances change. They become so different that you get a different outlook on life and you look at solutions differently and you right. look at, at what caused it differently. And the next thing you know, we're, you know, we're in a Tower of Babel where we can't communicate. And I think that's what, where we are. I think we're probably more apart, regionalistically, if that's a word, uh, than we've ever been. So you know, we're, we're running out of time. You and I got to run back to the Capitol here in about five minutes. Dave Marsden king of the world how do we fix how do we fix this to where we live up to what our name is as a commonwealth because right now i, I can tell you we feel farther apart from each other not just geographically not by distance and miles but in terms of temperament priority hopes for the future of the state what have you in almost every category to the point where in the rural areas we're aligning ourselves more seeing that we have more in common with 
urban, you know, the Petersburgs of the world that have lower graduation rates, mm-hmm. have higher dropout rates, have have problems with opioid addiction and alcoholism and single parent families mm-hmm. and, and have higher, you know, poverty rates. You know, w- almost one out of three children in my district live at or below the poverty mm-hmm. level. And, you know, we have a lot less minorities in our region than you do. But we have, you know, poverty is poverty. It's colorblind. Mm-hmm. We see a lot more aligning in what we have to solve as problems with, say, a Petersburg than we do a Fairfax station. But how do we as a state, how do we as politicians bring it all back together? How do we get eight and a half million people to start working together for the common good and seeing each other's perspectives, but also moving forward together Mm -hmm. for progress? And when I mean progress, not that liberal Democrat progress, progressive crap you talk about, but how do we move forward and with Virginia and, and, and progress so that every Virginian, regardless of their zip code, has a chance at a great education, has a great opportunity to make the most of themselves and live the American dream here in the Commonwealth. Yeah. It is hard, uh, and I don't know that there's a big fix. But I'll tell you something I'm working on right now that I have been for the past year. I don't know if I've talked to you about it before, but I've run it by uh, Delegate Kilgore and Delegate O'Quinn and, and Senator Pillion, and they're rather enthusiastic about it. We're having real difficulty trying to locate businesses in these business-ready sites. The workforce just isn't there anymore. Right. And you yeah, know, they've all gone somewhere else for jobs. They, they, yeah, and, and and you know maybe you can do a small parts plant, but you can't do a, a major league. Uh, uh, you know, Ford Motor Company making trucks. Uh, uh, don't bring know, that battery crap up. I know right <laughs> it, it. It is. You know, but you know you can't do that. So what I've been working on, and I'm working with the uh, you know the Secretary of uh, Commerce and Trade. We're going to be working on this in the off season. Is rather than trying to top load Karen Merrick's, yeah, Karen Merrick's, rather than try to put everything down from the top. I, I love Abingdon. Beautiful place. It is a it is a jewel. And what if we, as a Commonwealth, start trying to bring in people to Abington who can work remotely? And not just say Virginia as a whole, but just this one area of, of Washington County and that, that little region of the state down there to get something started where you're bringing in people who make $150,000 a year, offer them some land, pay off their college debts, have them sign a contract, you stay here this long. The school systems are good, but the buildings are in tough shape. Fix those up. But here's the thing, for those kinds of workers, if you need to get back to Chicago three or four times a year to the parent company, you've got a good airport in Tri-Cities in Johnson, Johnson City, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Met, uh, uh, Amtrak's coming through. You're right on 81. Love to do it at, at, at UVA Wise, but it's, it's, it, it's so remote that it's difficult for those folks to get into that. And the Internet's not as good, but we're investing a lot in that. And that's going to be an equalizer. And I had a bill this, this, you know, this year to um, – uh, to get rural infrastructure charging because people are starting to avoid the attractions in rural Virginia because there's no charging stations. One of our colleagues, not oh, colleague, for your electric cars, for your electric cars. Well, you keep turning all our farms into solar farms <laughs> so that you can go to bed at night thinking that the electric genie is yeah, pumping but, in only solar uh, power in your Prius. Well, but you well, know, one of my we're losing our farmland. One of our lobbyist friends was visiting a friend, in, you know, uh, in Damascus area, what have you. He had to drive to Bristol, charge a car. You know, and the, stay the out. Changes. And, and, <laughs> and the thing is, is that I know, you know, you're a political party and, and everybody's against the, uh, you know, the, uh, the the clean car bill and idea, Reggie. you know, and, and all Which that. Which is stuff. tying our emission standards and our, and and thank, our green energy standards and thank, to and California. Thank, and thank God for California. 
because the, oh the, the, the state senator out there who stuck it to the car companies when they told her, look, ma'am, if you put these admission standards, we're, we're talking late 90s, early 2000s, you know, you put these admission standards on, we won't sell cars in California. And she just basically did a Clint Eastwood with them and went, make my day. Mm -hmm. And they caved. And you and your children and soon-to-be grandchildren and my grandchildren were all breathing cleaner air because Fran, and I can't remember her last name, stood up and said, no, you can do this. And they did. And there's a lot of things that this country can do, and we have to have faith in it. We have to have faith that we can do small nuclear reactors to bring, you know, power to to and 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 some jobs to to your part of the world. We've uh, I don't have great faith that 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 we can do this, but it's kind of like if at Pearl Harbor they went, gee, they got all our battleships, let's just quit. No, we built a huge armed forces in a matter of just a couple of years because America can do and solve these problems technologically, industrially. And I say we're going to do it. And I say let's, let's, let's all double down on clean cars. It's going to help you, going to help us. Man, you know, I, I was thinking there's some conversion therapy going on. I was listening to you right up until this point, and I, I haven't heard a word you said in the last five minutes. So, <laughs> you know, we like our cars, and, you know, I own a race team with Hermie Sadler, and uh, we love gas-powered cars that go fast. Um, when you hear that electric, electric cars, cars go faster. I know, but they make no noise. Yeah, huh? We'll put <laughs> fake the noise, noise in. <laughs> you know, like a like a tape that you just run on. Listen, we've got a loop. We got knuckleheads in my district who are who are putting in things in their mufflers that sound like drive by shootings. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. please. Yeah, that's another issue. Uh it is. We could go on. Yeah, Dave, and it looks like we're gonna have to get back. They're calling us back into session. Here at the last day of the 2023 Virginia General Assembly session. But Dave, I, I think we've only scratched the surface, my man. So uh, so we got to bring you back. It's, a, it's an interesting take um, on you know, your perspective. And certainly the one thing that we have that I, that I don't think anyone can question is our, our love for Virginia. We may have yeah. a different belief on its direction or how we should accomplish things. Um, but we both love Virginia so much and the people that uh, live here, work here, play here, the children, we feel that obligation. And ultimately, um, we try to do what's right for Virginia, even though we may disagree about it. That's but right. there's a lot of issues that Dave and I will work on that are nonpartisan. Uh -huh. And then we can find agreement and we can make great things happen for the Commonwealth. Well, 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 there you go. And and what we've uh, what we've got to do is to, to get Virginia and and some of my more conservative friends out of the concept is progress used to be a good thing. It's just gone on for too long. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Diamond Dave, we call him Diamond Dave. He's Senator Dave Marsden with his wit and wisdom. Dave, this is just scratching the surface. We've got to have We'll you do it again. Okay. Love you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back, but uh, what an interesting conversation with a great statesman of the Commonwealth of Virginia, even though he's a damn Democrat. I love him nonetheless. And, my, and by the way, my wife loves your wife. Oh. They hang out every time they're they're together here on the Capitol. They do. And she wanted me to say, uh, to, to remind me to tell you, hey, for to Laura, for her. And same return for you. All uh, right. They, they love each other so much. And it started one rainy inauguration, if you remember that. And Dave had an umbrella and he kept pouring the water off the umbrella down my back. <laughs> That's how we became fast friends. Yeah, on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. We'll be right back with Hermie to, to wrap this up. Stay tuned. All right, by now, guys, you know I love talking about old wrestling. What you might not know 
is that's not my real passion. My real passion is helping people save money. My real passion is getting families out of apartments and into houses. My real passion is getting people's finances aligned so they can retire on time. I hated going to Walmart and seeing the greeter being 80 years old. She should not be working. She should be home. Why is she still working? Because she still has a mortgage. I want to help avoid that for you. The other thing I want to help you with, let's make sure your kids don't get saddled with student loans. If you've got a student loan, why did you get one? Maybe because your parents still had a mortgage. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being sincere. There's only so much money to go around. What I want to help you do is figure out where you are right now and where you want to be long-term. And I do it at SaveWithConrad.com. I've been doing mortgages for more than 20 years. And during all that time, we've helped tens of thousands of families change their life. I mean, routinely, we're helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, but more importantly, get them out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. But if you don't think it can happen for you, let me just tell you this. We are not the bank. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a game plan on how to improve your credit, how to save a little bit of cash, and how to get into that dream house. Maybe you're already in the house, but it would be nice if someday we could put a pool in the back, or one day we want to upgrade to hardwood floors, or remodel the kitchen, or get a badass master bathroom. I can help you do all of that with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Check it out. Savewithconrad.com, NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, y'all, don't take my word for it. Check us out. We've got an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. And as if that's not enough, go look at our reviews. Read them and weep, haters. Conradreviews.com. You'll see more than a thousand five-star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Find out how much money you can save. Take control of your life in 2023 by taking control of your finances. We're going to show you how to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, what are you paying on that? 14%, 28%. You know, you can do better with the mortgage though. You may not know this. The interest you pay is tax deductible. And we can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. So if you could get a lower monthly payment, pay your debt off faster get a greater tax deduction at the end of the year. And right now, right after the holidays, skip your next two payments. Buddy, this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of the world. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Or hey man, shoot me an email directly, conrad at savewithconrad.com.